Okay, hi, this is Griffin, and you are listening to uh, the final episode of the Adventure Zone Amnesty. Once again, we find ourselves at the end of a campaign, and uh, like last time, I wanted to do sort of all the, you know, show stuff before we got into the episode so that we won't have to have any breaks and... You know, you can just listen to the whole thing front to back without any interruptions. And so that's why I'm talking to you right now, as weird as this is. Uh, got a couple sponsors here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do them real quick and then, uh, you know, tell you how much I appreciate the support you've given us over the years. That's I'll get to that, but we got to make that money first. Our first sponsor is Blue Apron. Blue Apron, you know what it is. They send you a box. It's going to have farm fresh ingredients on it. It's going to have, uh, well, in it. They don't send you a box with food ingredients on it. That would be wild and probably not healthy. But the way they do it's healthy. They also send you a recipe. You're not just making dinner when you when you use a Blue Apron box to make food for yourself and maybe a loved one or just two portions for yourself. You're making memories. You can choose from a variety of chef-designed recipes, get perfectly portioned ingredients delivered right to your door, they take care of the hard parts for you, and they make it fun to learn new kitchen skills with each meal. The whole goal is to make dinner more accessible, exciting, and more delicious than ever. So if you want to make delicious, brag-worthy meals at home, meals like chicken chili enchiladas with cheddar cheese and jalapeno peppers, you can do so without the hassle. Just try Blue Apron. Check out this week's menu and get $60 off when you visit blueapron.com adventure. That's blueapron.com adventure. Blue Apron, better way to cook. Once you've gotten this food all up and around your teeth, you're going to need a quip because the quip is a toothbrush that vibrates. It's got sensitive vibrations. Uh, it's got a built-in two-minute timer. It's got a multi-use cover that doubles as a mirror mount. What can't this freaking thing do? Don't say you clean your teeth because it does that exceptionally well. There's no wires, there's no clunky chargers, and it runs for three months on a single charge. Brush heads are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for five bucks. It's a friendly reminder when it's time for a refresh and keep your keep your stuff just you know, working so right, and check out their kids' brush. It's the same as the original version, just, you know, smaller for smaller mouths. Quip is perfect for getting back into a good toothbrushing routine. Quip starts at just 25 bucks, and if you go to getquip.com slash adventure right now, you can get your first refill pack for free. That's your first refill pack free at getquip dot com slash adventure. All right. Uh, so, yeah, this is it. We are going to be moving on to a new campaign that I don't, I, by the time this episode goes out, I don't know if we've announced what it is or not, so I'm not going to say what it is here on the off chance that uh, I would ruin everything by doing so. But we're super excited about this next season, and uh, we really hope you are too. Uh, before we get to it, we are going to take just a little bit of time off. Uh, the show will not be taking time off, though, because we will be putting up uh, some live shows that we have done recently that have not been set in the Taz Balance universe. They have been absolutely delightful to play, and I'm so, so happy with the way these went. Uh, we'll be putting up Taz Hootenanny, which is a country western space opera. We're going to be putting up uh, Taz Just Us, which is Travis's uh, take on superheroes trying to pretend to be normal. It's all super, super good, and we're going to be putting that up for a little bit in the interim while we uh, finish getting ready for the next season. So uh, that that will be we'll be announcing what that is soon, and uh, hopefully we'll probably find time to do a the Adventure Zone Zone to talk about this season as well, uh, and. Gosh, this has been a this has been a wild experience for all of us. Uh, coming off of balance, we were all extremely like nervous about what we were going to do next, and we didn't want to drop the ball. And so we, you know, wandered around for a little while, trying out different things before we landed on Amnesty. And 
it has, you know, it's it's been a rough process trying to uh, adjust to this new thing. And, uh, you know, we've had our failures and our successes, but I am, I'm really happy with how this story ended up. And I am so grateful for all of the support that you all have shown us uh, as, as we've worked through this, this, you know, second season. Uh, I, it, it means the world to us seeing like cosplayers from Amnesty always like bring so much joy to my heart. Um, and I am sad to see it go. I am genuinely, but I am, I'm really excited for what comes next. And yeah, uh, I think that's it. So, uh, I'm going to let you get to the episode now and, uh, I hope you like it. And I don't know when this one's going to be finished and when it's going to when it's going to go up. So, uh, you know, it'll, the next one will be up in a couple Thursdays, probably. You, you know how this works at this point. I'm too tired to load up Google calendars and try and predict when, when this finale is going to be uh, finally available for people to listen to. So we will talk to you soon. And here is the finale for The Adventure Zone Amnesty. Previously on The Adventure Zone. You all see these humanoid figures of, of white light climbs out of the, the trunk of the tree. And very quickly after that, they all disintegrate into these just little beads of white light that float up and off into the distance. My world, like yours, was tethered to an alien planet besieged by abominations from the other side. I, I pushed us into a conflict with that alien world. I have a thought. Maybe it's trying to start a war between us and aliens. Yeah. You're not. Are you writing it? Yep. Up there? You can see, like, on this cocoon of light, there's something being projected on the other side of it, like on the inside of it. It's almost like the same scene you saw, like your memories flashing. You're not from really either one, right? You're not from Earth and you're not from Sylvain, right? You're from someplace else along the way, like between the two. That, that archway, it's not a rift, Duck. It's a, it is a tunnel. And Aubrey opens her eyes and says, Abracadabra, and shoots the Forest Service, Wayne, Wayne Newton, 
is that that can't be real. Who pull up in your Forest Service truck to a campsite a half mile from town, uh, well enough away from the highway that may give you an absolute nightmare, but in the distance you see the reason you've been called out this evening. Whoever is staying at this campsite has built a fire that is way too big for, for dry season. Uh, and you open the door to the truck and the smell of pine and, and smoke overtakes your senses. And illuminated by this comically large flame, you see a, a young woman sitting on a log, just kind of absentmindedly staring at the blaze. She's holding an uh, outrageously large rabbit uh, in her lap, just kind of idly petting it. Right, so you don't mind telling oh, me what... God! You scared the shit out of me. Yeah, well, you probably scared the shit out of a lot of flora and fauna, my friend. Well, I hey, may, maybe this looks like a Jerry Lee Lewis concert, but it ain't. You gotta be a little Jerry bit more careful Lewis. with fire. How old are you? He's like a, a entertainment icon, Jerry Lee Lewis. No, I know who Jerry Lee Lewis is, but like that's your pull. I just keep Mary set the piano to justify myself to you. You're the arsonist here. I'm I, I'm the one you know getting the collar. I'm I I'm not an arsonist. Well, so where did the fire come from? No, I started a fire, but I'm out in the woods camping, and when you camp, you start a fire. Okay, so you're the arsonist. I am not an arsonist. I'm a camper. We're talking about questions of scale. As you are speaking to this young woman, you notice a shape that uh, just suddenly appears floating between the two of you. And as it comes into focus, you recognize what it is with shock. It is beacon the talking sword and this isn't how it happened when this happened beacon wasn't there and duck you become aware of the fact that you are replaying your memories you are awake in this memory what do you do i guess i is there anything do i see anything else out of whack i mean i start looking around kind of frantically i realize it just beacon and as you're like looking around like the rest of the world is still going on around you as if you aren't really there. Hey, what are you what are you doing here? Oh, Griffin, you can't voice the NPC that I voice. Yeah. I've just realized. Beacon just smiles and floats closer toward you. Yeah, so I, I sort of carefully, and I guess kind of cautiously not knowing what exactly is happening, grab, grab the hilt. As you grab it, you feel like the blade is like stuck in the air, almost like it's stabbed into something sturdy, and then this memory suddenly vanishes. You are encased in a sarcophagus made of this radiant warm light, and as your your memory here disappears, you see just for a second some sort of like UI on the on the side of this thing, cataloging the event that you just conjured up. But just for a moment, because uh, as Began uh, stabs into this thing, you see just like some bright red indecipherable text that appears, and then the whole thing just kind of shuts down. Uh, and like a, like a needle through a bubble, this sarcophagus, this this small uh, container of light, just sort of peels away from the blade, and it drops you onto a cold metal floor. The last thing that you remember was you were hiding behind a pillar with Minerva as this uh, burst of flame erupted from Aubrey's outstretched arm. Uh, and you're no, you're no longer in front of the archway. Uh, in fact, you're pretty confident you're not in Sylvain anymore. Uh, the, the room that you're in, it appears to be some sort of like laboratory, you, you, you think, just based on the... Um, 
kind of unrecognizable but clearly like intricate equipment that is laying around the room um and there are several like computer terminals arranged around like a few workstations but uh they don't have a keyboard there's just some kind of like orb in front of each and regardless like they don't have power nothing else in this room has power uh and this this room it is it appears ancient and abandoned like it smells like the inside of a cave uh there's there's moss and signs of decay all around uh there's a fine layer of dust that is covering like every surface in this room except for the five other coffin looking apparatuses that are uh hovering all around you what do you do hey beacon you you there you still with me yes Wayne. <laughs> All right, man. That's the that's the only one I'm dipping you in chocolate. You fucking got me. Yes, of course, Wayne. <laughs> hey, I don't want to. I don't want to panic you, my friend. But I think you and I find ourselves aboard an alien craft. Fucking nailed it, dude. What did I tell you? I told everybody aliens, baby. The whole time, aliens. All right, but you got any ideas of how to get them out? Because I'm assuming this is our our crew, but I don't. I mean, I don't know enough about this kind of alien technology. Genetically speaking, I may not even be predisposed to interacting with the various machinations of an alien craft. It's weird just to see <laughs> me and me with a little bit of the, the Griffin panic setting in. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I don't know this Griffin. <laughs> I mean, why don't you investigate a mystery, right? Like this is yeah, that's the, a good, that's a grand why don't you play idea. The game? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, you forget, you know, it's an easy mistake to make. I've only been doing this a few years. <laughs> so that's a nine plus sharp. He is going to give us a plus two to sharp. Wow. Okay, that gets you up to eleven. Nice. You solve the mystery. I've solved the mystery of the alien craft. Uh. On a 10 plus, uh, on Investigative Mystery, you hold two, and you get to ask one of these questions. What happened here? What sort of creature is it? What can it do? What can hurt it? Where did it go? What was it going to do? What is being concealed here? Um, yeah, I think I'm going to go with uh, what's being concealed here to, to start out with. And, I, and, I, and the intent of that, because it's always a little weird when you're not actually like, I think I'm saying like the, in terms of way to sort of move things forward what is yeah, concealed for sure. from me but not necessarily a secret but concealed in the sense that like i don't know it uh yeah i will give you this like as your bubble pops you you see just for a second because like obviously you fall to the floor and so you're not paying like super close attention on uh, uh to, to what's going on around you but you see all of the the other pods in this room kind of like flash in response and for a moment they become like fairly translucent before like regaining their form and you see your uh your colleagues in uh these these various pods uh by which i mean uh thacker and aubrey mama vincent and minerva uh that is that is what is being uh i mean that is what it is there's lots of stuff being concealed here but this is sort of i think what you get for for this check for my other then i will ask what happened here I I think you maybe more than anybody else, just because you're a little bit hardier and the blast didn't necessarily 
uh, affect you quite as powerfully. You weren't like knocked instantly unconscious. Uh, you remember being pulled in through the archway with the other five folks that I mentioned. Uh, and you were falling down this this big towering uh, room, this big cylindrical room. Uh, and you remember seeing like a sight you have seen before, which is these these beams crisscrossing this uh, this tower going upward. Uh, only this time, like you seem to have come out of one and you fell and fell and fell until something started to slow your inertia. And then that is where you lost consciousness. Uh, so w- whatever this world is in between your world and Sylvain, like you are in it now. The, so did our plan to blow up the gate, I'm assuming, did not work? Uh, it did. I mean, from from what you can tell, the uh, the fate that you foresaw of the sky being torn apart uh, did not happen when you when you did what you did. But you definitely fucked up the gate. Like the gate, the gate, for all you know, is just like is is gone. But before it went uh-huh. down, you all were pulled in. Okay. Uh, I will cautiously see if I can. I want to look at the pods and see if there's anywhere I might be able to like wedge beacon in or 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 maybe like cut into it somehow. It is. It's like a. It's a perfectly smooth surface. But like Uh. when he cut you out of your bubble, there he also was not stabbed into a wedge. It seemed like he. uh, He. I I will also give you this. Like I don't think you need to roll for this. When you stabbed into the uh, the the shell that you were inside, uh, beacon seemed to like light up. Beacon seemed to uh, really enjoy stabbing in through this this hard light material, uh, and it was enough to to you know break the break the thing apart. Um, so yeah. Hey Beacon, you think you can you think you can make that work from the outside without severing anything too important in there? Yes, <laughs> I absolutely yes. Nothing major, of course. Um, we it'll be seamless, duck. Hey, I really appreciate you. I'm sorry, Wayne. I forgot <laughs> that will be the last time. Yeah, uh, allow me. And then he does it perfectly, <laughs> <laughs> and everybody's really impressed by it. And everybody's impressed by my cool talking sword. Everyone agrees it's a great day. Yeah, I, I it is so effortless for him to do this for him to like pop these these bubbles that are. Uh, scanning through these memories. You can see actually as uh, on the like exterior of the pod, you see flashes of scenes as you see like their memories being sort of uh, uh, absorbed by this thing, uh, sort of being viewed and uploaded by this thing. Uh, and it's so effortless. Like as soon as the tip of beacon uh, crosses the threshold of, of these, these coffins, they just pop and uh, Aubrey falls out of the first one. Huh. Oh, welcome to the outer reaches of space. What the fuck, duck? Yeah, man, I blew us into space. Well, you blew us into space, technically, no, we, right? Hey, we blew us into space. We blew, high five. Okay. And they high five. Do we need to roll for that? No, you're good. I'm gonna keep cutting people out. So you start that noodle turning, but I think we're pretty well fucked. Cool. Um... I'm just glad we're not dead. Frankly, I thought that what we were seeing was like, you know when your life like flashes before your eyes? Like, I was like, this is the explosion, and we're about to die. Uh, Well, it's been a good run. Those are kind of my thoughts overall. Still hungry, still haven't eaten. 
I, I, Aubrey, we're either alive or, and I shudder to even say it aloud, we find ourselves in space hell, man. Oh, no. Well, maybe it's space purgatory. It could be space purgatory. It's a fine point. But as long as we both agree it's not space heaven. <laughs> I already said that I'm getting people out. Okay. I mean, look at it. It's clearly not space heaven. <laughs> yeah. Aubrey, what are you doing as he finishes? I would like, say like while he's high, while he's working on that, I would say Aubrey's probably looking for some kind of like panel or you know computer screen, something that you, okay. know, you could do like an information kind of gathering, some some uh, recon. What are you hoping to like find out? Just like yeah, what are you hoping to find out in in particular? Um, I mean, where we are, what they were monitoring. Yeah, you you are doing that. We'll we'll resolve that in a second. As uh, the next bubble that you pop, uh, Duck uh, Thacker falls out of. Whoa! <laughs> All right, what's what is this fresh hell? It might be uh, hell. It might be purgatory. Haven't decided. Uh, I'm, I'm leaning. I'm leaning towards alien craft, but I'm biased. Oh shit! I should have. You know what? I owe Eugene $25 because he said that whole alien abduction thing, and I said he was full of shit. <sighs> that whole dog, and they took him, and... That- no, 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 I've heard about that, too. Everybody knows that one was a confirmed sighting. I think even the scientists have said that that one's confirmed. Well, that was confirmed contact. I should have not bet him at all. All right, how do we get out of this one? Uh, let me get the only person who might have a single fucking clue. Tacker, what are you doing as he continues popping these people out? Uh, I think, uh, I think he whips a notebook out of his uh, backpack and just starts jotting down as many notes as he possibly Great. can. That's awesome. Okay. Uh, Duck, you are continuing to pop folks, uh, out of their bubbles. Aubrey, why don't you roll to investigate a mystery? I sure will, Griffin. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm just, oh, <laughs> that's a five. Like uh, uh, okay, it's a five plus a one, uh, which would be a six. How about, in fact, do you want to be helping out with it? I, I think that the two of you are sort of trying to accomplish the same goal. So I think that's an easy case for help out being applicable here. Okay. I can't think of an, another sort of uh, gameplay mechanic that would be you taking notes about everything. Ah, uh, mm. that's a six. Plus minus. Plus, plus cool, unfortunately. Oh, no. A minus one. So that's five. Failures all around. Here's what I will say. I believe that means Thacker has failed enough to level up. So maybe there's a level up mechanic that happens. <laughs> that now Thacker's That like, is exactly. Do I get an experience I've, for that? Yes, you uh, do. Yeah, I mean, both, both of you get experience for failing. You also still have your luck points, but. Well, I wouldn't say that I do, Griffin. No, yeah, you're, you're fresh out of luck. Well, then I have another move to make. Okay. I, are we trying to just gather information? Is that what we're doing? Uh, yeah. I'm still going to take a hard move, but if you have something else you want to do, then... Well, I'm, I think I think he'd do his psychic event thing, his being sensitive, open his brain to the psychic environment and try to get some kind of information, some kind of, some kind of data. Okay. Uh, I'm going to take a hard move, but first, Duck, uh, the, the next coffin that you pop is, uh, is Minerva's. Uh, and she thunks to the ground, and uh, she says, So tell me, Wayne Newton, have I finally found myself in that great battleground in the sky? You know, you can just... Yeah, I guess I... Eh. Yeah, no, you're alive. 
I'm burying the lead. I should say that before we quibble about nomenclature. Eh? Um, <laughs> no, uh, yeah, you're alive. You're uh, aboard an alien craft hurtling through the galaxy, uh, passing, I'm assuming, through our solar system and into the inky blackness beyond with uh, only Horizon is adventure. That is one theory, Wayne Newton. Uh, mm-hmm. I suspect we stand on the world inside of the archway, the, the world of light that we've encountered several times before, Wayne. But I, I, mm. I like your theory as well. Well, <laughs> if it's mine, there's a lot less for us to do. Huh? <laughs> I feel like if it's mine, we could just kind of chill, which would be kind of nice. But I'm assuming that yeah, yours makes a lot more sense now that I think about it. I admit, Wayne Newton, I'm kind of excited. Oh, yeah? I suspect our destiny will soon be fulfilled. And right after she says that, you all hear a click, and suddenly this ancient chamber that you all are standing in uh, comes to life. And these overhead light panels, uh, a few of them, like a f- uh, most of them have been sort of irreparably damaged over time, uh, they flick on and sort of cast light into this this uh, unused dormant laboratory. Uh, and Aubrey, you actually see, because you were you were walking that direction, uh, a couple of the computer monitors do click on and begin like buzzing a low hum. Uh, and there are, you hear some fans like in a ventilation system that are activating and they are just grinding in protest uh, after not having been used for God knows how long. Uh, and you hear a voice, a a computer-generated voice that says, Please wait. Huh. We have decided to ask you to please remain where you are. Your aggressive actions have resulted in significant damage to core stability. Our current situation is unprecedented. We ask you to patiently wait in this area until a decision can be made regarding your aforementioned aggressive actions. You also see as the light clicks on now, there's a metal door out of this room. It appears to be the only exit. And right now it has this bright red light over it when the uh, when the power comes back on in here. Hmm. Okay. You know what? Aubrey's going to smash it. Okay. Um, Wait, was that, the, was that the hard move? Yes, the hard move was, yes, this thing sort of knowing where you are. Hey, um, Duck, Minerva, uh, Vincent, Decker. Yeah, let's just say you've popped everybody out at yes, this point. Uh, yeah. I would like to posit that perhaps we should not wait here for them to determine a course of action based on our uh, aggressive, you know, stuff. Um, we should probably, you know, get out, right? Vincent charges the door and rams it with his head and falls to the ground and stands up. And he says, "What? Well, that wasn't it. That wasn't it. Okay. That works for a lot of stuff. When a door gets jammed back in the castle, typically I can I can do that. Uh, what about this? And Aubrey uh, lays her hands upon it. Okay. I'm going to use combat magic, uh, lightning. Interesting. Okay. Uh, what what's that look like? What do you what's that do? Basically, she's trying to you know fry it. She's trying to hack it with magic lightning. You get it. You in know. this in this metal room, we're all Listen, trapped in. There's a risk, yes, of course. That there, but there's a risk when we do anything, Dad. Like we can't be afraid. Dad, I'm not your father. I rolled, I'm Thacker. Wow, that's double sixes. I rolled a double six, and let's see, plus three. <laughs> that's a fifteen. 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the door opens and brings you breakfast. Yes. I mean, I was trying to figure out like what this would be, but like no matter what you needed to do here, a 15, like the electricity is so completely localized to the door, like it actually starts to heat up a little bit. You see it glowing, uh, glowing red as it heats up and it just goes flying. You blast the doors outward and they land in a, a larger room outside uh, that you have now opened up a passageway to. Um, Thacker, do you still want to do your psychic event? Yeah, I think he does. I I, I think if, even if it just gives them a little hint of what they're going to be charging into. Okay. Um, okay. So he uh, is going to cast psychic event, uh, the sensitive version uh, where he opens his brain to psychic environment, it's oh my god, oh no, three, oh my god, oh no, plus plus weird, which is yeah, it's weird. You rolled so bad. It's yeah, it's a five. Oh no! Wow, that that's not going to be uh, one to six. Makes contact with something dangerous. Huh? huh. Yeah. Very good, Griffin. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> fucking scumbag <laughs> I know how bad you want to hurt our daddy <laughs> you fucking nasty boy go for it go ahead and break our dad Na- I love G-nasty, you son they, G-nasty they call him I love you bud I love you too dad uh, they finally said it finally <laughs> hey, hey in the podcast folks that's all we've been trying to do <laughs> thanks for listening our other podcast will still be going but this one was just trying to achieve that uh you attempted to, to do this thing that you have done so successfully when you were trying to sort of interact with the quell. Um, only now you are sort of not looking for a specific entity to talk to. You're just kind of opening up your mind. You make contact with something, and it is not like what it was like with the quell. Uh, it, it is not, uh, you know, right away, like whatever you're talking to is not an organic being uh and that like that fucks you up uh take uh take two harm ignore armor uh you you it almost feels like you just like stuck a fork in a in a in a power socket like you are uh making contact with something that you know you are not supposed to be uh able to talk to it is a and a, a digital mind when you try to like press into it to figure out what this mind is you realize that you are not speaking to one voice. You are connected to thousands of voices that make up this one sort of uh, digital hive mind. And that alone is enough to kind of like knock you to the ground. You don't really get anything from them, but you, you do realize that they have noticed you and noticed what Aubrey just did to the door. Oh, farts. That's ah, gonna leave a mark. In the room uh, that Aubrey just opened the door to, uh, you all hear uh, the sound of machinery beginning to activate. You pick up on one other thing as as sort of like your senses come back to you, and it's close by. Uh, The thing that you were just talking to is is further away. This thing is like very close by. Uh, It's another mind. This one is a, a single sort of digital mind, and... You really can't get a beat on this one. This this mind is so like corrupted and scattered, and you don't get any sort of sense of malice from it like you did the other one. Uh, and it is it is it's nearby, and uh, it's it is just not as cohesive as the the last one that you spoke to. 
and that's what you get as your your senses come back to you. Any kind of any kind of feel of where that singular voice is? No, I, I you. This thing was so overpowering you that like I don't think you got necessarily. It's close, but like it's it is not like you could draw a map. Okay, well, I uh, he definitely marked another experience then. Okay. At, Okay, I can't wait to level up. Yeah, depending <laughs> on a lot of a lot of failure, if he's going to get to another I level, I have had a lot the of, of the show. Oh, I've leveled up. I'm just right. waiting to spring it on everybody. <laughs> I, I'm waiting to do something successfully. Thacker, your senses return to you. Uh, what do you all do? Anybody else want to look around the room or do anything else? Hey, listen, um, we got uh, a couple of issues. I just tried to, you know brain scan you know do the old mind meld and there there's some badass shit out there uh i I didn't get any kind of read but it's like this uh great big uh uh beehive mind uh so i I think we need to uh proceed with caution yeah what's that uh y'all hear that machinery or, or whatever it is some sort of grinding or some noise that just started up yeah, I think I did that. Um, oh, cool, man. Did yeah, I do that? You. Oh, yeah, that was big when you fucking. <laughs> yeah. Um, if if I may, once again, um, perhaps we should, you know, flee? Yeah, let's truck. Yeah. You all pass through the door that Aubrey uh, blasted open. And, and when you blasted it open, Aubrey, like, there was a sort of like blast of air that you felt like uh, and your ears started to ache. Everybody did in this room as the the pressure in this facility seems to like uh, self-regulate. Um, mm. When you pass through the door and you step foot into this other room, uh, you realize that this one has also been sort of ravaged by decay uh, and and disuse. It's another chamber filled with unrecognizable futuristic technology uh, and all of it like the room you were just in is covered in uh, dust and grime as if uh, nobody had stepped foot in here for, for years and years. Uh, you're, you're on the second floor of this, this room. On the ground floor, you see uh, a much more sort of informal arrangement of, of desks and furniture at the center of the room, flanked on all sides by these um, pedestals. And those pedestals have these little hollow cubes on top of them. And all each of these pedestals is wired to these large glass uh, tanks, almost like a big fish tank, uh, which are all connected to these like containers of different materials hanging from the ceiling. Uh, and these tanks are just like pumping some sort of material into uh, one of these tanks. You see it beginning to to fill up uh, with with some kind of material coming from these tanks in the ceiling. Um, also, at the edge of this room on the ground level is some sort of transport pod, almost like a monorail that. Uh, Goes, goes into a tunnel in the wall that is currently locked off right now, uh, and it's docked on this platform with, a, uh, with one of those sort of spherical control panels on it. Um, this room uh, has, has power going to it already, and it seems like, and it seems like this, this glass tank uh, has, has been activated and is doing something. And Mama says, all right, yep, yep, duck, yep, full-on alien encounter. Eugene's going to absolutely shit. This is huge. Yeah, no, I don't actually think it's that anymore. Minerva says we're in a, the world of light, uh, heartbreakingly. Um, so here's, uh, all right, so we got, I mean, I feel like we need to get in this little car and get the hell out of here, y'all. I don't know. I, I, I don't like what that machine's doing. I don't. I actually don't have any clue 
let me see if I can figure it out. One sec. Uh, and I'm going to roll investigate a mystery again. Uh, That's an 11 plus 2, 13. That's a very good roll. Thank uh, you. Okay, same questions uh, available to you, um, Wayne Newton. I am going to say... Do you prefer Wayne or Duck at this I point? Pref- I mean, if it's you... Duck. Griffin. Yeah. Duck. Only okay. Minerva I, gets to the call o- Here's the only person I'm not going to give shit to is Minerva. Okay. Because I told her to call me Wayne. And I feel like you can't take that, that would be back. confusing to her. I can't take it back. Can't can't unring that bell. Okay, duck. I do think though it's better if the others don't hear her say that because we haven't talked about it yet, and it seems weird for everybody to just accept. You know what I mean? Like they don't know. That's true. We have but it, other that, things on our minds. Yeah, and that's true. But Minerva is definitely not the type to understand that that you want that, and she has definitely already blurred. I, I just think everybody else should should stick with duck, or it'll get confusing. Okay. Um. What? Can, okay. What can it do? Now, the it is supposed to refer to the creature, but since there's not a creature we're currently talking about here, I'm doing it with the machine. What can it do? Uh, the answer for this is on the first floor. As you're kind of like poking around there in the, the the workstations in the center of the room, the computers here are active. They are uh, They are working as the power has been restored to this room. And the like terminal that is connected to this glass tank that is starting to fill up with these materials, you see some kind of text on it that you cannot necessarily read right now. Um, but you see a, a humanoid shape on the, uh, on, on the monitor. And you see this shape that is like kind of filling up almost like a progress bar. And as you see that you realize, um, Ned probably told you about the stuff that happened in that, like, hotel he was warped into. I can't see any reason why he wouldn't. It was such a, like, vital clue. Like, this sounds like what he described. Like, this sounds like the uh, person printer that the shape-shifting thing used. Uh, Like, and I think you put all those pieces together and see this monitor and you realize that... This this room, this chamber, this computer, and these these cases, these tanks are uh, designed to essentially print out organic beings. Um, Gross. Uh, print out, you know, whatever. I think the other screens have uh, have other shapes on them that are not humanoid. You see, uh, most of them actually have fairly like monstrous designs on the monitor they are not uh active all the other tanks seem to be like completely broken down uh except for this one uh so yeah that is what it can do is it printing currently it is printing currently you cannot like make out what it is through the tank uh the thing is being filled up but like you know it's it's it is it's going to be humanoid whatever it is uh my other question i get to ask is what was it going to do that is a big question Mm. I'm talking specifically about this printing here. Like, can it, can it get an idea of who it's printing? Is that what you're asking? That Exactly, right? If it's somebody I recognize or what? You know who it is. Uh, as, as the, like, progress bar fills up more, this design, uh, it is becoming more sort of uh, vivid and specific. Uh, on this monitor, you see a woman... And she's a human woman, and she is wearing a Christmas sweater. And not just any, like, Christmas sweater, Duck. It is the Christmas sweater that everybody in your family received as gifts several years ago. Uh, You realize it's your sister, Jane. 
she is dressed as she was in one of the memories that you remember you you just had sort of scanned during your containment. She is she is being printed here uh, out of this machine, and uh, the the progress is like halfway through. Well, that that fucking tears it. This in aliens. I am gonna rip this place to fuck apart, though. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's you see that uh that that little fucking. Uh, a Lego it's putting together there is my sister, and that's fucked up. So now me and my man Beacon, yes, yes, me and my man Beacon are about to tear this place the fuck apart, and then we'll get in that little car and we'll go see what else I can tear apart. How's that sound, everybody? Quick vote. I. All right, I pull Beacon. Yes, 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 Doc Newton, please. And I just start uh, tearing this place the fuck apart, as promised. Yes. Uh, okay, what are you what are you attacking it, specifically? Uh, I'm starting with the tank. That's fucked up. Okay. Uh, why don't you uh, kick some ass? Is only for like a fight. Roll to kick your half sister's ass. Yeah, uh, you know what? We'll do kick some ass to determine like whether or not you can shatter the the this this big glass tank. You don't know what kind of material it's made out of, so uh, roll to kick some ass. Uh-oh. <laughs> Three. Uh, unimpressive. Yeah, not great. Not great. I'm out of luck, by the way, in case you're listening. Oh, shit, really? My... Not out of luck. Well, okay, if you put the last one in, if you fill them all up. You're doomed. You're doomed. Okay. No, you don't have to bring that on this if you if you don't want to. You. It's not worth it. I don't see why. I don't even think it's fair that I have to make a kick some ass roll and hang an inanimate object with a very good sword. Uh, it's just to determine like th- what this material is, because if it was just like glass, you would have shattered it. But uh, with with this roll, Beacon just kind of like effortlessly bounces off of it and doesn't even leave a scratch. Whatever this thing is made out of, like it's a little too uh, it's a little too thick uh, for for your blade to smash. Um, here, Duck, may I try? Uh, yeah, man, go for uh, it. And Aubrey is going to use some magic. Okay. Uh, to inflict harm against the glass. Okay. And this is basically just like, you know, big ball of energy. She's trying to shatter it. And that is a four. Oh, yes, baby. Line them well, up. Well, well, a four plus weird. So yeah. that's a seven for me, plus one, because of a move I took because I inflict harm a lot. So that's an eight. Uh, so an eight. Okay. You see the glass start to shatter and crack. Uh, and now it is, uh, you you have like broken through the like bulletproof seal of this thing, if you will. And now it looks ready to go. Uh, but as you do so, duck now like through the smog of these like crystalline materials being pumped in, uh, you see your your sister almost fully formed. Um, oh, Thacker's turn. Okay. Okay, Thacker is going to do the whole level up thing because he's got the experience. Okay. And one of the things that he can do is uh, adopt a move from another playbook. Interesting. Okay. He's going to take unholy strength Holy from, the mon- from the monstrous playbook, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> which means on kick some ass, he rolls plus weird instead oh, of plus tough. Okay. You need to paint me a pic. This is obviously some dope metagaming, but you need to explain to me like what this means for Thacker because you, he just got fucking super psychic strength. Uh, he, uh, he takes the machete out of its its holder and kind of twirls it around a little bit 
and just the only change is the expression on his face. It just it's almost like he's reverting a little bit back to his whole bestial nature. Mm, yes, uh, yes. Just like, you know, maybe the brows look a little bigger, but he just got this horrible expression on his face. And he rushes forward, swinging the machete down in this glistening arc. Now watch me roll the two. Ten. Ten. Plus two nice. weird. That's a 12. That's a, that's a, a, a dirty 12. 12. A dirty, a dirty 12. 12. Tell me what this looks like. The, the, the glass container is going to shatter. What's it look like? Tell me more about your glistening arc. My glistening arc. I'm just bringing it down right. Right where the cracks are, where he's already got the cracks. Mm. It just, he just whammies it. He, and I think he even says whammy. Yeah. Whammy. Okay. And he hits it. <laughs> you, you smash your machete in and it finally passes through the glass and it starts to like collapse in on itself like a wall of, of dominoes that just. I think he stops before the blade would hit sis. Oh yeah. I mean the, the, the tank is big enough that you would not have and, done and that. And remember. Uh, Doug's not trying to protect his fake sister. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, I, well, I that know. was not my intent. Uh, as the uh, glass like falls in on itself, you hear like an alarm come from the terminal that is connected to this thing, and all of the like uh, hoses that were pumping this thing with these these different materials, which you I think now you get like a whiff of and. They smell kind of terrible, uh, and there's lots of them. You see now at the top of this tank, there were like uh, over a hundred of these hoses, like pumping stuff into here. Uh, and Maybe. you see the shape of your sister duck; it gets sort of consumed by this cloud again, and you just sort of see the silhouette uh, of her fall apart. Uh, shall we continue our tour, <laughs> our tour of destruction? Yes, let us head for the you know the monorail. You start to walk in that direction and from the like cloud of of materials that have been like freed from this tank, you all see a light shining inside. One of those four armed beings made of light steps out, uh, all four hands just kind of like up towards you as if to say like, yo, chill, chill, chill. Uh, what do you do? The hands up, chill, 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 makes me think like we would say like, yeah, like, yes. I mean, hey, if you're with them, you better start fucking talking. Uh, I, I feel like we ought to give him a high 20. What's that mean? Because he's got four hands. Is what that is saying. Oh, God. Yeah. That's the, that's the good. Sh oh, that's that primo uncut dad shit right there. <laughs> uh it points like at where its mouth would be. It is again like this featureless uh, white humanoid light being uh, and like shakes its head no. And then it points over at a computer and starts to sort of like slowly creep over in that direction. Uh, okay, you can't talk, so you're gonna use the computer. Cool, I gotcha. Uh, it walks over to one of those uh, spherical like Oh, terminals. it should be said, uh, Aubrey just fucking loves charades. Oh, okay, the, good. She is so excited for this. Like it is, can, she prides herself on her charades abilities. Can I can I point out that we've already been told that these forearm bastards are the ones that caused the whole war between the Quell and and us, and they were behind all that stuff, and we're just going to let him walk over there to that machine and doodly 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 and do that, whatever he wants. Thacker, they are not all bad. Let us not forget our friend Billy. You knew a good one? Yes. You knew a good one? Yes. He was- Name uh, name one good one. Billy. 
He was the goat who loved pizza. You see one of the monitors behind this being. It has its back turned. Uh, it it seems to flicker as you said Billy's name. The monitor uh, does? Yes. You see this, this four-armed being finally, like, get access into one of these computers, and uh, you hear a computerized voice say, Do not be alarmed. I apologize for the rash selection of this form. It was decided it might put you all at ease. I can tell from your expression this was not correct. Uh, yeah, no fucking kidding. What's your problem? Uh, it types, it, it doesn't type, there's not like a keyboard, it just seems to be like maneuvering around this, this spherical input, uh, and it says, The facility in which you stand has been in operation for eons longer than you have been alive, and this is the first incident of its type we've ever experienced. We are trying to decide our next course of action. We ask you to stay in the room where we placed you until a decision has been made. Uh, just to clarify, is there a course of action you might take that would involve us being dead or injured or incapacitated, you know, that might result in a bad kind of situation for us? The voice says, uh, after maneuvering around this sphere a little bit more. At this very moment, the deliberative operational mind is deciding whether or not to grant your world's clemency and cease pairing operations between them. If you seek to save your worlds and yourselves, you would do well to act peacefully during the remainder of your stay here. Hmm. I mean, direct and fair. Thank you so much for that. Hey, uh, you mentioned pairing operation. You know, we're lower life forms, obviously. Can you, um, can you dig into that a little bit? It sort of cocks its head, and you see it, like, look down at the computer and move its hands around it. And from the computer, you hear a different voice, and the voice says, Query, should the invading life forms be informed of Reconciliation's mission statement? And then you hear it say, 11.03% affirm. And this being looks up at you, and you just hear a voice say, No. Huh. Well, thank you so much for your sort of take on this. Um, Minerva, do you have any... Any thoughts? You ever, you never hit any idea what, what they're talking about? This pairing shit? Um, Minerva, you look over. She's been quiet this entire time. As she sees this four-armed being, as she kind of, like, hears more about what is happening here, she is seething with a rage you have never seen from her before. Um, and you, you remember the stories she has told you about the war between her world and the one that she... Uh, she destroyed, leading to sort of the uh, simultaneous eradication of both civilizations. And you see her, uh, you see her hand where her hip be at. Hey, maybe pump the brakes a little bit, right? Let's just talk it. I- I'm pissed off as you are. Well, no, fuck. You are more pissed off than I am. Clearly, I'm moderately pissed. I'm at about a six. You look like you're at fourteen. But like, let's. Can we just talk about it first? This this being sees Minerva's hand uh, reaching for her blade, and this voice says, I assure you, any attempts at resistance through physical violence will pizza be futile. P- uh, pizza? What? Excuse me? What? Say it one more time. Say it again. Repeat. It doesn't seem to respond, and it's also, like, completely stopped moving. Uh, and... It's static now. It's like a mannequin, and you watch it slowly just sort of 
slide downward and like phase through the floor and is gone. Uh, and as it does so, you see this monitor that had flickered earlier behind it. It comes into view uh, and you see it moving. You see like you see activity on this on this monitor uh, as it, it seems to be just like scrolling through through files uh, and and uh, going through all of these different sort of operations. Billy? Uh, it stops finally and you see it, it stops scrolling and you see uh, you see some sort of file uh, be open and obviously like the text has been completely unreadable but very slowly uh, the the different characters begin to change shape uh, until it is in a, a language that you can read what does it say Griffin what you see is a text file that has mostly been translated you can read most of it and it is labeled decision log and sure enough, it appears to be a, a running list of uh, the the queries that the life form you were just speaking to, or at least what what that being represented uh, has has been contemplating. And it, it's it appears to be in some sort of chronological order. You don't seem to understand the system by which it is measuring uh, time, but it, it has a query from uh, some time ago, and it reads query. Should the history of reconciliation be preserved in plain text? 98.02% affirm. And sure enough, following that query, you see a timeline of events that, though you can't really make out exactly how far along the dates are in relation to each other, uh, the, the screen seems to be scrolling between like relevant times and dates. Uh, and it presents the, the following as the first. Locus Prime enters the Age of Unity. 25 revolutions of peace and prosperity follow. Population increases dramatically. Artistic achievement increases dramatically. Scientific and isospatial advancement increases dramatically. Teleoptical Research Laboratory founded. Extragalactic exploration begins. First contact with extraterrestrial civilization. Communication failures and continued aggression force retreat of exploratory unit. First invasion from extraterrestrial civilization. Extraterrestrial civilization retreats. Locus prime population dramatically reduced. Devastation to infrastructure nearly absolute. Second invasion from extraterrestrial civilization. Defensive protocols effective. Extraterrestrial invaders defeated. Casualties limited. And then there's this long, long gap. Uh, and it, it appears to be detailing the recovery of this planet, of, of Locus Prime, uh, following this invasion. Uh, and you skim through it, and then the screen seems to scroll itself to another entry farther down the line. New extraterrestrial civilization makes contact with Teleoptical Research Laboratory. Invaded by second extraterrestrial civilization. Defenses ineffective. And this pattern just doesn't stop. Uh, th this planet, Locus Prime, it continues this cycle of achieving prosperity and reaching for the stars, only for the stars to come crashing back down on them. Their accomplishments, th they seem remarkable, but they were just constantly met with nothing but destruction from other worlds who took notice of their progress. Until, eventually... 
Teleoptical Research Laboratory decommissioned. Facility repurposed for a new defense project. Reconciliation founded. Mission Statement to pacify the charted universe by eliminating aggressive elements before they achieve sufficient astro-navigational or isospatial advances to pose a threat to off-world civilizations. Hypothesis. By pitting two aggressive extraterrestrial civilizations against one another, elements will destroy themselves following appropriate encouragement from reconciliation. Dilemma. Parties raise ethical concerns questioning the counterintuitive nature of the use of violence to promote desired extraterrestrial violence in an effort to reduce intergalactic violence. Solution. Belligerence limit established. When consensus vote from reconciliation crew finds the project's inherent aggression has exceeded acceptable levels, reconciliation project will be terminated. First aggressor respondent match determined. Isospatial link successful. First provocateur dispatched. Interplanetary conflict achieved. Participant worlds eliminated. And these pairings, they, they always follow the same pattern. Uh, using this you know, wildly advanced technology, they scan the stars for planets and civilizations that they deem too aggressive and could one day potentially pose a threat to you know, other worlds in existence, then finds a match for those worlds and then tethers the worlds together and provokes a war between them that will lead to their inevitable destruction. And the Locust Prime appears to be on the brink of collapse. They celebrate how little blood they have to get on their hands using this reconciliation project. And then at the end of this, this document, the end of this timeline detailing the origins of this facility, there are a handful of final entries. Continued invasions render Locust Prime uninhabitable. Population dwindles near extinction point. Surviving populace abandons corporeal forms. 1,183 survivors transfer consciousness footprint to reconciliation. Uploaded consciousness forms deliberative operational mind. Extinction point of all corporeal life on Locust Prime. Reconciliation continues under direction of deliberative operational mind. And as you all finish reading this, this text document, you see the screen flicker and shut off. Can I just say something? Yeah. Quick? I mean, it is alien. Okay. Yes, you were right. You, yes. I mean, I thought I was having a kind of crisis of conscience there, but it is aliens there, right? Yes. You, yep. Well, dead aliens, you know. Yeah. No, nah, it's true. It's a fair point. Thank it's, you. Dude. It's computers. You know what? You know, Captain Kirk would just ask it some question and it would just screw it up think we could get away with that so i would say that no matter what they sound like real pieces of shit <laughs> am i yeah, right like I, yeah, yeah right. real fucking scumbags so they're gonna be like well please be peaceful and we're figuring out what to do or whatever but like they kind of seem like pieces of shit and even if they let us you know chill out or whatever they're just gonna do this like again to like other places and they've done it at least to minerva's which minerva Fuck them, am I right? Yes, fuck them, Aubrey Little. Yes. And as you say that, you hear a bell chime behind you, and the transport pod is uh, illuminated in green light as it starts to uh, hover off of the rail that it is standing over, and the uh, door on its side slides open. Well, I believe that's our cue 
to go fuck it all up. When the door of the transport pod slides open, there's there's no atmospheric decompression this time. The room it opens up to doesn't resemble the rest of this ruined facility that you've explored so far. Uh, it's, it is ancient and it is devoid of signs of life, but that, that musk of disuse doesn't fill the air. This part of the facility of, of reconciliation is still in operation. It's the only part you, you assume just because it, it's a chamber you've also seen before. You stand at the base of a towering cylindrical chamber. All along the outer rim of this room, transport lines to other parts of the facility flank your own. On the opposite end of, of this circular room, you uh, make out a row of those same like organic printing devices you just saw in the last room. Uh, and then at the center of the room are three concentric rings of desks and terminals all arranged to, to face the very center of the room, all connected with these thick pipes to uh, various pieces of machinery. The, the, the organic printers, there's the, the middle ring is uh, connected to this massive holographic map, just this big cosmic map swirling overhead. Uh, and the innermost ring's wires run up and outward high onto the outer walls. And following them upward, you see what they're leading to. Hundreds of circular gates, all tethered by the same tunnels, like the one that you just destroyed. In the distance, actually, you can see smoke and sparks pouring from one pair of these rings. Uh, all the others, however, are currently in operation. And vaguely through them, you can see occasional shadows flying from one world to another, undoubtedly ready for war. And at the center of this room is a dome of white light that is just peeking out of the ground. And it is the central terminus for everything else in this room, for the whole facility. And realizing that you have arrived, it flashes. And above it, uh, text appears in this holographic map, and it reads, Query, should pairing 14198 Earth Sylvain be granted clemency? And then beneath it, 13.11% affirm. Okay. Uh, you know what? I actually find that a uh, little, uh, uh, you know, it puts me a little at ease because I thought we were going to have to make a big speech about, oh, even though you granted clemency to us, what about the other planets and we still have to do it, right? But now we don't have to bother with all that. So that's kind of nice. Hey, is there anybody that wants to chat? I mean, I know you're all in computers or whatever, but does anybody talk uh, Earthling? Uh as you say that, you hear a bell behind you, and the transport pod you just stepped out of is illuminated in red light, and it lowers down to the rail. And in a chorus of bells, you see the other transport pods in the room do the same, uh, locking you in. At the far side of the room, the organic printers all activate, and you see different materials being pumped through tubes emerging from the wall. And then almost as an answer to your question, and an arm made out of that same hard light jabs out of the dome at the center of the room. Uh, it is followed by several dozen others as a horde of these four-armed beings of light begin 
climbing out of this this core and start scrambling over the rings of terminals toward your party. And with a flash, this this brilliant white dome at the center of the room is encased in a shell of swirling red light. And these hard light operators of reconciliation approach. What do you do? I guess that's a no, huh? Yeah, that yeah, that kind of reads like maybe talking it is reads done. like, hey y'all, this reads super aggressive. I don't know if we're at a cultural impasse. Maybe, uh, hey, we're not lifting a hand against y'all. We're not starting anything here. I just want to talk. Y'all are, are the original pacifists, right? These four-armed beings pause, and text appears again in the holographic cloud map that reads, "Query." Are the extraterrestrial invaders engaging in deception? 89.84% affirm. Now listen, you all don't know Duck like I do. Believe me, he cannot engage in deception to save his life. (laughs) He's also an employee of the federal government. It skyrockets up to (laughs) 98.64%. All right, well, I gave it the old college, huh? Thacker investigates a mystery. Uh, this would almost certainly be read a bad situation, if anything. Okay, read a bad situation then. Okay, you don't really have time to investigate anything right now, but you can sort of take stock of. Okay, read a bad situation. That's a nine plus sharp. two because he has two sharp. Cool beans. Are there any dangers we haven't noticed? Toward the back of the room, uh. Those those printers have activated, uh, and it, one of them in particular, you see uh, a shape beginning to take form very quickly. You see uh, a massive uh, leathery paw sort of uh, push up against the glass, almost like it's it's uh, you know mid printing, trying to smash its way out toward you. Well, mm. I've got a second question, but it's just a follow up to that. What's the biggest threat? I assume it's the big leathery paw thing. The biggest threat in this room is that dome in the center. That dome, Thacker, in the center of the room, it's not just some sort of like power source or, uh, you know, processor. It's the thing that you made contact with earlier. That dome in the middle of the room is the deliberative operational mind, which uh, contains the consciousness of, of the survivors. It is the thing that uh, is, is controlling reconciliation. And that makes it not just the most dangerous thing in the room, it makes it potentially the most dangerous thing in existence. What's most vulnerable to me? These, these four-armed beings that are coming at you, uh, they, they don't look like much. They don't look super tough. Duck, you, you, you especially recognize like they are not nearly as uh, imposing as that, that one shapeshifter who like finally came out of its form uh, looked. Like these, these look more... Uh, like you could deal with them, but probably not in huge quantities. Uh, and right now you have like four or five of them like clearing the the circle of uh, workstations and coming towards you. Uh, and also just like the computers in the room, whether it be, uh, you know, the hardware itself or perhaps the software, like they are computers. So computers you can hurt fairly reasonably. Um, but just in general, like this is a an operation that has been going for, you know, eons and eons, God knows how long, uh, and you are probably the first tangible uh, organic beings to step foot in here uh, in a long time. You get the impression that, like, 
they are maybe not exactly set up for this. That is what is vulnerable. Okay. All right. I I tried that approach. Um. So let me try a different one. Uh. Hi, I'm Wayne Newton. Everybody calls me Duck. Uh. I'm a chosen one, and I never really understood what that meant. And I guess I still don't. But I look around here, and I reckon I'm just about the toughest son of a bitch on this ship. So here's what I think I'm chosen to do. I'm going to kill you and you and you and you and you. And I hope you got more because I'm just getting started in my sword. <laughs> uh, well, you'll see. He's just a mean son of a bitch, too. So uh, <laughs> listen, we tried We tried to talk it out. And uh, I, I think we just go ahead and go. How, how about that weird computer? How's that sound? And then I kill one of them. <laughs> Beacon. <laughs> okay, I it cut one of their heads off. It starts to uh, spell out a query overhead in the map, and you uh, attack one of these beings. Hey, of light. I, I got a query for you. Where's my fucking head? Oh no, that kick-ass human chopped it off. Fuck you. Come on, <laughs> roll the kicks of ass. Uh, seven plus tough p- plus two for tough. So a nine. A niner. Uh, if I may, I help. Absolutely. I imagine everybody's going to help kick ass. Yeah, I'll help out, even though I have zero cool. So, boom. Oh, nope. Oh. <laughs> That's a five. Uh, <laughs> That's a five. Aubrey yelled, get him or don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, so you got a big success, Duck. You you do indeed uh, behead one of these things. Uh, you you. Uh, how much damage do you deal with Beacon? Uh, I believe two. Uh, you feel like you have actually afflicted, like, it, you hit this thing a lot harder. You feel the same way that you did when you pierced those, uh, those sarcophagus things made of light. Uh, Beacon just, like, thrums with energy as you cut down, uh, the first of these, these attackers that make their way toward you. Uh, its body, its headless body, like, mid-disintegration, uh, like, rams into you as it was sort of sprinting at speed and knocks you to the ground but your your armor is as such that you your natural human chitin is as such that you uh you you don't even register it uh uh, minerva draws her blade and she's like yes yes uh and she starts running towards those rings of terminals to uh join in the the melee between these other uh alien four-armed beings uh you see Vincent and Mama, who are, like, unarmed, looking a little bit nervous. Uh, Mama runs over and, like, finds a, a, a thin piece of steel pipe that she, like, peels off of the wall where it was kind of, like, rotting away. Uh, and she looks kind of nervous to be using it. Uh, and Vincent I, is like, I can I can tackle them with my helmet. Uh, this could be bad. I, I would like to, uh, I would like to use magic. Uh, okay. For for Mama. Okay. Um. There's a used magic thing I haven't. I don't think I've ever used, and it is enchant a weapon. Oh, you have uh, used that. You used that to kill your very first uh, abomination. All right. Yes. Yeah, so I'm going to enchant Mama's weapon. Uh, okay. Roll plus weird. Well, it's a four. Good lord. Plus three. Uh. So it is a seven. Becomes a mixed success. Uh, choose an. Eff- I get to choose a a glitch. Uh, actually, you d- you pick the glitch, and I tell you what it is. 
that magic draws immediate unwelcome detention. Uh, okay. You see the uh, metal pipe that mom and pick up start to uh, glow like this light blue color. And uh, it's not like it is like electrified right now because obviously that would hurt mama quite, quite badly. And she says, oh yeah, now we're talking. And you see her sprint after Minerva and start engaging these forearmed beings that uh, were coming after you. This is the also the hard move that you had earlier for failing your your help out role, Aubrey. That one tank uh, where you saw something trying to like break out, uh, it finally shatters, and you see what you may have called an abomination uh, just a while ago uh, smash out of the tank and uh, land with a deafening thud. You see a ten foot tall gorilla, uh, not not exactly a gorilla. It's got four large arms that it's using to steady itself as it walks like like an ape. Uh, and its face just features these two enormous mouths uh, lined with sharp teeth. And also his fur seems to be consumed in a living flame that is going wild uh, as he roars. Uh, but this, this beast lands uh, out of the, the cloud of these uh, crystalline materials that were composing it, and it starts to charge uh, towards you, Aubrey. Cool. Vincent sees this thing charging at you and turns and says, well, um, time to go to work. And he points at himself and he says, remember, Minister of Defense. And he lowers his head and charges at this ape that is coming after you. This leaves the three of you now at the back of the room here. Uh, Duck has sprung in front of you, uh, Aubrey, and... But, but you and Thacker are next to each other just outside of this pod, uh, and everybody has thrown themselves into the melee. Uh, Thacker, what do you do? I, I, I want to kick some ass. He hasn't kicked ass in this whole <laughs> okay. thing. So I think he's going to unleash his machete, and let's, let's start off easy. Um, I think he'll help Vincent with the gorilla. Okay. So he attacks uh, you, the gorilla. You charge in after Vincent. You see Vincent like... Just crash into this thing's chest with his with his horned helmet, uh, and it kind of like pushes him backwards. You see some like old uh, pieces of uh, panel beneath him that have kind of rotted away get get pushed back from the force of it, and the ape kind of slows down as you uh, charge into attack. Roll to kick some ass plus weird using your super psychic strength. Yeah. Oh my god, that's a Tw- double six, folks. Twelve plus weird. That's a fourteen. Uh, okay, on a 10+, plus, you can gain the advantage, take plus one forward to give plus one forward to another hunter, inflict terrible harm, you suffer less harm, or you force them where you want them. Um, terrible harm. Okay. Uh, what does your machete do? I think, uh, I think I'm using the machete and all of his years of hacking down vines and brush and, and really try to cut the gorilla's head off. <laughs> Okay, you you don't necessarily cut this thing's head off, but as like Vincent kind of slows the the beast down, you are able to jump up as it's kind of doubled over over Vincent and get a a good clean chop into this thing's neck, and you really drive it down. Uh, and it's it's not like sp- spraying blood or anything like that. You do see some like crystalline like gas start to come out of it a little bit, and its its form is starting to. Uh, start to decompose, but it is still definitely alive. Uh, but as you are sort of clung onto it, it roars in pain, and as it does, uh, you are 
caught in the flames of its fur just for a second before it falls down. Uh, you take two harm. Okay. How are you doing? I got four harm. Are you unstable? Um, uh, I would like to, is this the opportunity to uh, roll to protect someone? Yeah, I think if you want to prevent harm to another character, yes. I think for sure this is, this is the moment to do it. It is a reactionary thing. Sick. Then I'm going to roll to protect someone. Okay. And yes, I am unstable. Okay. It was an eight. Mixed success. Okay. And I have leveled up and taken the move shield spell. When you protect someone, gain two armor against any harm that is transferred to you. Okay. Uh, but I'm going to use my shield spell. Uh, so I would say that, like, how this would look is I'll be going, Sylvain, do something! And, like, you know, a barrier uh, kind of forms around Thacker for a second, right? That then uh, it softens the blow. Okay. Uh, and, and because you were going to take some of it, but you, you gain this shield, uh, Thacker, as you are like landing, you see the same flames that are on this ape kind of swirl around Aubrey and she just like absorbs them harmlessly. Uh, so do not take too harm. Uh, cool. Duck. Thanks, Aubrey. Hey, you're welcome. Duck, uh, what are you doing? Uh, who we got, who we got now? Um, who's in the fracas? Uh, you and Minerva and Mama have cleared out most of the like these forearm beings that have been like clambering over these rings of of computers towards you. Uh, but you see like more as ever are just always coming out. Uh, you see to your left, you see Vincent and Thacker fighting this big flaming ape. Uh, at the back of the room, you see all the rest of the printers like still going. There are four other printers still going, uh, and inside you hear, uh, you know, you hear various roars and wails, and you like W A I L S, uh, and uh, you you see that that same sort of crystalline uh, gas material like filling up the chamber. I'm gonna uh, rush the printers. Okay. With with Beacon. Uh, okay, what's your... I mean, you can't really... They're, they're these big, big machines, so I don't think you could get get all of them if you're just looking to smash them up. Yeah, I, I'm gonna... Um, I'm just gonna start hacking away at the, the, the gully works. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? You're not looking to, like, shatter the glass necessarily. You are looking to, like, disable the machines. Exactly, right. Hey, y'all, I got a plan. I'm gonna... I'll, uh... But I can't say it because it's a super smart computer. So it's gonna, I'm just going to do it. Uh, Mom. Okay, thanks for sharing, Doc. Yeah, Mama Minerva nod uh, as Minerva stabs through another one of these these bright white beings. And she says, do what you got to do, Wayne Newton. You know, a, a problem that we always struggle with at the Forestry Service, paper jams. You know what I mean? In one, You know where you get a paper jam? Like a poetry jam? Uh, Mama uh, blasts one of these white light beings with her electrified rod, and she says, Duck, honey, we don't really need to know what you're doing. You just go just go do it, okay? And she gets clobbered by another one of them, which uh, Minerva jumps in to, to save her. Uh, and Minerva's like, yes, Duck, it's not a great uh, like monologue time. Yeah, fuck, okay. And uh, <laughs> I, I'll slide uh, 
I'm going to jam Beacon into, like, this is really hard because I'm trying to visualize visualize it it in two different things. But, like, not the tank, but the things connected to the tank. Sure. How's that? There are sort of pipes connecting the outermost uh, ring of computers to the... Uh, to the tanks, and there are also like uh, those those pipes out of the walls that are like supplying them with all these uh, materials. Yeah, I'm just gonna start severing pipes. Those those seem like an easy target. Okay. Uh, why don't you, uh, if you want to like sever those pipes that are like supplying them with materials, you're gonna have to get up there. And I think that there's like enough shit here that is posing a threat to everyone that I need you to act under pressure just to get up there because you're not gonna have to fight these pipes, you know. So I'm kind of stuck in the middle of the the fracas, right? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, I'm going to use the one move I still remember from being a mundane, <laughs> and that's panic button. When you need to escape, then name the route you'll try and roll plus sharp. On a 10 plus, you're out of danger, no problem. And I, I could read the rest, but that's the only one. Yeah, I'm okay. Because I'm going to get a quick 10 plus real quick. The route I'm going to try is I'm going to... Um, try to hit beacon around some of the cords up there and swing up there and then sever the the cables. Okay. That sounds like a good plan to me. Eight plus two. That's a 10. That's a 10. That's exactly the number that you needed. That's incredible. You've done it. Uh, A a trio of these forearm beings like dive towards you, trying to just dogpile on top of you. Uh, and you hold Beacon up and whip it around the pipes supplying the, uh, the, the material to these printers and just very closely, very narrowly uh, escape from the situation as you land on top of the tanks. Uh, describe, describe what this looks like. Uh, how many, how many of the pipes can like I reach from where I'm at? There are like, there are like hundreds of these pipes coming out of the, the, the walls. Uh, they are, I mean, they are close enough together that you could just arc down and catch a bunch of them. Yeah. I'm a, that's what, that's what I'm going to do. Just kind of f- fling myself off and, and jam is kind of a, um, Douglas Fairbanks, like jam beacon into the wall and just slide down the wall and see how many fucking cables I can take out with me on the way. Uh, okay. Why don't you, I mean, you kind of already did your thing. I don't think you need to act under pressure again. I think you just do this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This is uh, you, you all, the rest of you see just like this diagonal line of sparks shooting out of the wall as duck carves his way down the side of the facility, severing all of these, uh, tubes and pipes, supplying the materials to the, to the organic printers. Uh, and as he does the flow of, of that crystalline gas just suddenly, uh, comes to a stop and you all see inside of these tanks, these just horrific visions, just these, these nightmarish, uh, abominations inside you see, uh, uh, just like this this spherical uh bestial entity covered in just jagged spikes one of them is has just a big floating hideous face uh one of them has this bird with just this massive beak glistening with with corrosive slime uh but as as you see these sparks shoot out of the wall and you see uh duck sever all these cables they all uh very very slowly just start to uh, collapse in on themselves uh, until they are just this this fine mist of uh, crystalline material that seeps out of the bottom of the tank and uh, is gone. I meant, hey, I meant like, I meant like a printer, like a jam you get in a printer. Oh, that's a thing I was trying to hint. It doesn't matter now. Uh, I would like to do some big magic, Griffin. Okay, what's what's? I your have plan? had an idea that I can completely justify. <laughs> oh boy. 
that's the 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 title of Travis's memoir. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I hate to just spell it all out, but I think if I just try to do it without giving you my justification, you won't let me do it. <laughs> uh, one of the things you can do with magic when you use magic is to summon a monster into the world. Okay. I would like to summon Billy. Okay. And my justifications are, I have within me the goddess of creation, and <laughs> all around this room is the material used floating through the air now that he severed those pipes that one could use to print an organic being. Okay. So uh, Aubrey would like to collaborate with Sylvain to do big magic using the uh, materials present. I feel you, I feel you. I'm right there with you. Uh, I am going to choose what you need to do here. Obviously you need uh, five people to help. They're already helping. You need to use magic. You need to use magic, obviously. Yes. Um, I also assumed you need some rare and weird ingredients and supplies with whatever That is definitely is true. Uh, I'm also going to say it's going to have a specific side effect or danger. Okay. Okay. Why don't you roll to use magic? Big time roll for big time. For big, big time, time kids. Oh, oh my God, Travis. I, I have two luck points left. I'm using one. You got a three. Yes, I got a three, but now I've got a 12 because I really want to do this. God in heaven. Yep. You absolute ding dongs. Uh, so here's what I imagine it looks like. Um, Aubrey has the idea, right? Closes her eyes and says, uh, Sylvain, can we do this? Like, can we create two? But, you know, for, like, good. And before she can finish the sentence, Aubrey's eyes open. But they're not Aubrey's eyes. They're just glowing with that orange glow. And her hands start to move around. And as her hands move around, the particulate, that crystalline stuff, begins to swirl around them. And the voice of Sylvain speaks and says, Billy. And there's a flash of light. Yeah, it, when that flash of light happens, you, everybody else in the room sees that, that particulate matter that was just sort of like moving like a, a, a dense fog across the floor. It starts swirling around this, this room and then it starts swirling around Aubrey with her hand outstretched. And then Aubrey just kind of like disappears in this this column of swirling crystalline gas. And then that column explodes outwards. And standing in front of Aubrey with her hand on his shoulder is Hollywood celebrity Ryan Gosling, who looks backwards at you and says, Pizza! Hell yeah, pizza! This is probably a, a little late to ask if Billy has any kick-ass fun. <laughs> well, no, but here's the I thing. Mean, he is just a, a goat that looks like Ryan he, Gosling. He looks at you. Oh, Dick! Dick! Yeah, man. Nah, man, this is so cool. For sure, I'm loving this. But, like, <laughs> God has a ninja Duck, or something, man. He's our inside guy. He knows he, how the computers work, Doc. Come on, nephew knows how the computers work. He points over at uh, the corner and says, Doc? Uh, pizza. Yes. Not, not pizza for sure. Uh, not pizza, of course. Yes. You see, duck that pizza, son. Billy rushes towards the uh, the the rings of computers, uh, and he begins. He like signs on to one of the terminals in the outermost ring. What's his and you, password? Uh, it's. I mean, 
One, duck, two, pizza, three, four. Du- <laughs> pizza duck, pizza, pizza duck, duck. Uh, and <laughs> he moves his hands all around the terminal and he looks up at you as uh, a couple of those those beings of light start to approach. I think he also, uh, the, the dome flashes and the ape that you, Thacker, and Vincent were fighting uh, pushes you off and starts to clamber over in Billy's direction. Uh, Thacker, what do you do? Thacker runs over to the dome. Um, I'm, g- I'm gonna have Thacker do an act under pressure. I want to try and use his psychic powers to send a message to the dome. I mean, all these psychic things that have happened to him have been one way, just to him. I want him to try to communicate with the dome. They've already communicated once before, I mean, a couple of times before, and I want to have him run over and act under pressure to try to send a psychic message to the dome. I would argue this is use magic, not act under pressure, because use magic has like a communicate um, with communicate with another with. thing, right? So this is this is not explicitly one of your moves. So this is you know we, we don't have to call it magic, but you are rolling plus weird to achieve one of these effects that we know you can do. So I think I I, I think that's the that's the actual uh, game mechanic for it. Okay, eleven plus weird. That's a thirteen. Good lord. Um. Okay, you close your eyes and. You are just like instantly hit with that same shockwave that you you felt earlier when you accidentally tapped into this thing. Only right now it's like at your feet. And you can see it like in this psychic space. Uh, It's not just this one tangible dome that is covered by this uh, red force field of light. Uh, It is... It's many small lights all sort of huddled around each other like like fireflies uh, forming this one larger ball. Uh, and you feel it start to like try and push you away. And in fact, like your physical body feels this force field start to repulse you. Uh, but in this psychic space, you are able to withstand the, the pressure and deliver a message. Uh, hey there, sport. Uh we got us an invincible super warrior with a bloodthirsty sword and his Obi-Wan Kenobi and she's got a sword. We got a magic user with a goddess in her. We got a goat soldier. We got an artist with a pipe and we got an Academy Award nominated actor. (laughs) And so if I may suggest... You and your bunch of Commodore 64s are just not set up for this. So why don't you stand the fuck down? These lights that are swirling around each other inside of this, the, the, the deliberative operational mind, uh, you speaking to them directly like this seems to send them into a panic. And you are now just repulsed backwards by this force field. Uh, everybody else in the room sees the, the the red shell just shine and this wave of force pushes you uh, backwards, back all the way to like the far wall of the room. Uh, and you, you land there with a thud. But before you were sort of sent away, you saw them panicking. And everybody else in the room, when this happened simultaneously, you watched every four-armed being of light and this this massive ape just kind of pause and glitch out for a second uh almost like whoever was controlling them dropped the controller for a minute uh and the ape 
in 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 stumbling like that just goes flying over uh the the terminal that billy is working at uh delaying the attack um and they all sort of start to recover and uh begin their movement again and billy looks up at the ape charging and looks at all of you fighting these these beings looks up at duck uh on top of these dormant printers and then he looks down at his hands and grins at you duck and presses the enter button or the spherical equivalent of it and as he does that these these rings of monitors all flash blue and then they go dark uh except for the one he's working on and from that computer you all hear music start to play like old lo-fi like midi music uh and duck this this music sounds familiar and then all of the stars and galaxies in this overhead holographic map uh they start gravitating inward they are colliding and combining in a central point over the core and you all see a query start to spell out in the display but but that holographic text is also sucked inward uh, before it finishes typing out and this holographic material is just being sucked into this new massive shape Uh, hovering in the center of the room. And that shape, it starts to look humanoid. And it starts to gain just greater detail and more color. It's a man with long hair, long white hair. And he's holding this long, thin sword. And he plunges downward, down toward the center of the chamber. And his blade touches the shimmering red shell as he plunges downward. And all of it, the the red shell, this holographic man, they are all pulled into this singularity that then explodes and fires all of these holographic galaxies around the room with, with violent virtual force. And when the scene settles, this map projection now fills the room. Uh, a cluster of stars passes by and through your party. And at the center of the room, uh, Duck, from your position on top of the printers, you see the dome is is left unprotected. Uh, it's pulsating with alarm, almost to the rhythm of this music. And <laughs> in response, these forearm beings start to pull themselves up and out of the ground to try and defend the dome. Duck, what do you do? Hey, I got some bad news. Not for y'all down there. You're cool. The dome, Cybertron, or what the fuck? Bad news, the only one of you all I gave a shit about is now out here. So, here comes Duck. I'm trying it. I don't know if that's anything. And I leap off the the pipe and Beacon first, just trying to bury the sword into the, to bury Beacon in the dome. This is it. This is what I'm here for. Roll to kick some ass. Nine plus two. <laughs> Thank God. It's 11. Everyone else in the room, you see Duck soar through the air, illuminated by these, these panicked flashes of light coming from the dome. And Thacker, as you come to your feet, 
you see the dome I, again, just like it did to you, start to repulse out this this wave of white light to knock him away. And you actually see the other uh, the other white light beings being knocked over by this force. But you see Duck pass through it effortlessly as Beacon just carves a path. Minerva looks up now, and her face is illuminated by this this pulsating light. All eyes are on you, Duck, as Beacon pierces into the dome. And your inertia continues, and you just slide off the edge of the dome, uh, over landing on the innermost ring of these computer terminals, leaving Beacon behind, planted in the middle of the dome. And lit from below, you see Beacon smile. All of the projections in this room, all of these other forearm beings, everything else, the ape, they all just fall to the ground. And then Beacon just starts laughing. And above the dome, above Beacon, holographic text appears. And it's glitching and flashing. It's barely, like, legible. And it reads, Query, has reconciliation surpassed the belligerence limit? 20.63% affirm. And Beacon laughs, and the number changes. 41.09% affirm. And next to you, Duck, Minerva just starts cackling. Oh, Wayne Newton, I get it now. What? Haven't you shared my curiosity, Wayne Newton? Of why our order was entrusted with wielding and protecting such an angry, angry blade? Oh my god. She nods and points at Beacon, who is now just shrieking with laughter, his his glistening metal teeth bared to the world. Minerva smiles and says, There goes our destiny. <laughs> Sorry, dipshits, no, he's your problem. With a grimace, he jabs downward, piercing all the way into the dome. And above, the counter registers a new tally. 100% Before all of it, the counter, the core, the illuminated screens encircling you, and the intergalactic tunnels overhead all disappear in a blip. The chamber is completely silent now, save for the distant sounds of wind from the wasteland outside. And a light illuminates Billy as his computer monitor turns on, and he holds up a finger as if to say, hold on a second. And the rest of the monitors click on, giving giving this room a, a soft illumination now that every other light has been extinguished. And he looks up at you, duck uh, from where you landed next to Minerva. He looks all around and then he moves his hands around the sphere in front of the computer and a voice breaks the silence of this room as it says, Sorry, can y'all understand this? What's up? Test, test, test. Oh my God, Billy? Yeah, what's up? This is Billy. Damn. Hey, Billy. Hey, y'all. Way to go. Hey, yeah, for sure. Hey, Billy, can I ask you a question real quick before... I, did I 
Did I just delete your dad? <laughs> I was worried about it, man. While I was doing it, I thought, well, Billy's out, chill as hell. And then as Beacon was doing that shit, I was like, oh, fuck. Am I deleting Billy's dad? So I just got to ask if I deleted your dad. Uh, he moves his hands around the sphere and the computerized voice says, You probably deleted a lot of people's dads. Mine wasn't in there, though. It's cool. All right. Okay then. And and I'd like to I'd like to say I loved you on the Mickey Mouse Club. Uh, that you were you were one of the best performers they had. Thank you, strange old man. He he types in something else. He says, "Sorry, my limited vocabulary isn't going to be suitable for this emotional moment. Y'all did good though." Hey, so did you, my dude. I am happy. Ah. Uh- Good, good. I'm I'm happy you're you're here. Hey, is your body gonna be okay? I'll figure something out. Thanks though. What was up with that sword? Crazy. Yeah, it was it was crazy. I was about to say I miss him, but that is not technically accurate. But I am happy he was here. And I am unsure about how I'm gonna keep my pants up the rest of the way home. <laughs> oh fuck, I didn't even think about that. Billy. How are we gonna get home, man? Dunno. We should figure it out, though. I have no idea what you're breathing right now. Oops. <laughs> A lot of, like, you dust, I think, honestly. <coughs> yeah, you don't want that inside you. He moves his hands around the, the sphere, and you hear a loud whirring noise above you, uh, and... These two thin mechanical arms uh, emerge from the wall, and you see them uh, fetch two of those gateways off the walls from the tower above, and uh, they lower them down to your level. And uh, Billy types in a few commands, and then he looks confused, and the computerized voice say, Did y'all blow up the archway? Ooh. Yeah. That's cool. He tilts his head for a second and kind of thinks, and then... uh, Takes, takes a few seconds to type in a few commands and you can see that he's working through something uh, and then he smiles and then the two rings light up and through them you see images of home. Through one you see the city of Sylvain and you are looking down on it from high atop a hill outside of town. Uh, over the horizon the sun has, has begun to rise on this recently revived land and through the other, you see a dirty bedroom. And there's glass on the floor. There's there's that signs that a struggle has recently taken place here in, in Billy's old bedroom. And then Billy types, Hold up. And he <laughs> runs through the gateway. And then he comes back through and he's got the PlayStation in his hand. And he types in, Gonna take this. Okay. Yeah, no big take man. where? Here. Gotta stay here. Got a few dozen interstellar wars to clean up. Yeah, that tracks. Yeah, that tracks. No, hey, wait, Billy, you don't get to get off that easy, man. Like, why did you go along for that for so long? Like, why? you seem like an all right guy. Like, you had to know that pitting planets against each other, it's fucked up, man. He types in. Yeah, sorry. When we were all part of one mind, it was easy to go along with the plan. For some reason, the signal from reconciliation went quiet when I got to Kepler. Let me think for myself. That was cool. I guess. I mean, listen, you gotta... I'm glad you're on the right side of shit now, man, but you know you got a lot to make up for out there, right? He 
nods solemnly, and above you, you see the one of the uh, pairings of gateways start to light up, and a platform comes down to the ground in front of one of the printers, uh, and he looks over at it and then looks back at you, and he types in, That's the plan. And then he says, Anyways, there's the way home. I'll close the door behind y'all. Wait, hold on. Do you mean that once we go through, we won't be able to, like, go between Earth and Sylvain anymore? He says, I mean, y'all blew up the archways, so yeah, probably. Well, that sucks. Maybe I can figure something out. It's complicated. I'll hit you up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, He starts to walk toward the platform, uh leading up to the ceiling and then he turns around and types in uh, a few more words and the voice says I am sorry for what has happened for what it is worth I descended to your pairing and then he looks down for a second and then types in reconciliation agreed that your planet's bad outweighed their good and then it says prove him wrong and then he types stay cool and turns and gets on the platform that starts to raise up into the ceiling. And now it's just the six of you in this massive empty chamber, the sound of the wind sweeping against the walls of this facility echo around you as you stand, illuminated by the choice in front of you. These two portals. Two doorways to two different homes. Thacker. Mm? Where do you end up? And what do you what do you do after you get back? I think we can leap forward in, in time, uh, you know, however much we want. Um, I think Thacker he chose Sylvain. I mean, he is an archivist. He's a researcher. He's a historian. He wants to know more. And there's plenty of people who you know, are are on Earth studying Earth, and and he's in kind of a unique position to to be the guy here on Sylvain. So I think that he takes advantage of that. I think he he's like Cain. He wanders Sylvain, um, and just is chronicling all this stuff. And you know, I think that's been the whole motivation of his life. I don't I don't think he'd go back to Earth just to whitewater raft anymore i think he he's committed to it and i i i can see him you know going to try to learn more about the quell and the connection with with sylvain and you know the 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 portals and the the traveling and maybe one of the things he's trying to do is discover another way you know to reconnect sylvain and earth uh i love that i love that it's not what i expected i love it um, let's say this, it's, it's a few weeks. I think things have s- settled down and the city of, of Sylvain is bustling. Uh, a lot of the people who had been like overtaken by that, that quell thrall, uh, especially outside of the city have, uh, recovered. And those, those survivors have like taken refuge, 
uh, in in the city because it's kind of like the only part of the planet. It's certainly the only like city that you know survived everything that had happened over the the years where the planet was kind of falling apart. And so the city is not only like vibrant and alive because the you know uh, the the engine of the planet is uh, you know churning again. It's alive with you know folks and. It is uh, an exciting time to be there. And right now, like, the city's priority is just to take the planet back, to try and, and uh, replenish it to uh, the, the state that it once was, and basically just start start this civilization over fresh. And um, as somebody who's, like, archiving things, like, I imagine that that is an exciting time for you. Where are you, like, where do you... Where do you stay? Where do you live? Like, what is your your lodging situation like in in on this planet? I I think he'd um, reconstruct his uh, his bivouac from before. Okay, uh, just outside the library. Okay, uh, because there's so much still in the library. So many uh, books and so many scrolls and 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 artifacts and stuff he can research. I think he. Uh, Builds himself maybe uh, maybe two bivouacs in case you know somebody wants to drop by. You know? Okay, so he, that's sweet. So he's got a guest bivouac. Uh, I like that a lot. This library that we've talked about a couple times before wasn't actually in the city of Sylvain. It was in this right uh, sort of abandoned city. So I, I actually really like the idea of you at this at this place as all of these like um, frontier people are leaving the city to try to establish uh, civilization elsewhere to try and, and and put the planet back together. I like the idea of your impulse being to do that at this library uh, with this bivouac. So you definitely get guests. You definitely get travelers who are on their way maybe to their home city that has been, that has fallen apart. You, um, you help them along the way. You show them a map. You help them get home. You help them get back to where they're going the whole time, learning more and more about this planet. And I'm going to name it New Keplerville. That's good. That's very good. Are you the mayor of New Keplerville? No, no, I don't want that much authority. I'll just be the power behind the throne. So let's say that you are just kind of uh, in in the middle of, uh, you know, a work day, whatever that looks like for you, just awaiting visitors that you can help along their way while uh, exploring this abandoned library and, and learning what you can. Uh, and you've just gotten back home after finding a few uh, tomes that you've begun to translate uh, on on your desk in your bivouac. Uh, while you're doing that, you kind of like, you know, you, you get a little bit uh, absent-minded, and whenever you get in that state, you feel those like psychic powers start to tingle a little bit, and as is the case, as has happened a few times now, uh, you hear a voice in the distance trying to hail you. Hey, um, yeah, open channel D, please. <laughs> Maddie? The voice starts to become more clear as it breaks through the psychic static, and it says, Yeah, that still, that still ain't gonna catch on there, Thacker, bud. Uh, what are you, uh, how you doing, pal? What's going on over on the other side? Oh, it's going great. Um, we, I, the, the little, uh, little Keplerville, new Keplerville is. You got to decide on a name and just stick with it, bud. New Kepler City is, uh, just, it's growing. Um, we, uh, we just got a, uh, pool 
Um, and uh, it's actually it's just a, it's a pond. Um, but uh, yeah, why'd we, you call it a pool? That's a different thing. I I know because we, you can also it's also a pool hall. You can shoot pool or you can go for a swim, and and that's pretty nice. Um, and uh, it, it it's good. We I mean, a lot of new folks. I got like five, six, seven, eight grad assistants. Uh, from uh, from Sylvain U, who are helping me research. Uh, it's good. It's good. And yet, you know, it. I, if I want to get away from everybody, which is often, I just can just slip out and head out into the wilderness, and I'm home. She laughs and she says, "Even on a far flung extraterrestrial world full of danger and mystery, you are still very much Arlo Thacker." Well, guilty as charged, Matt, uh, Mama. I mean, you can call me Madeline, just not Maddie. I don't like Madeline. Uh, that's, that's too formal. All right. I miss you, bud. Let's, uh, let's talk again soon. All right. Oh, by the way, I've had some interesting breakthroughs on reestablishing maybe some, uh, some lines to, to travel back and forth. I, nothing for sure. I don't want to go out on a limb, but I, some promising stuff. And for one thing, I got to come and get new GORP materials. I got to get my, my, my stuff for GORP. So I'll let you know how that goes. She says, all right, I'll tell Minerva. And regarding your GORP, I'm glad to hear. And then you hear the door into your bivouac uh, slam closed, and it catches your attention and... You hear Mama's voice falling away, and she says, oh, "Yeah, I'll make sure to." Oh, you're going away. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Her voice is gone, and you and you look up, and you see a uh, a young woman who has walked into uh, your your office here. She has uh, short, dark hair, and she is wearing some hiking gear. Uh, she's got this this huge backpack slung over her back. Uh, and she kind of drops it to the ground as she enters, and she says, Hi, you're open, right? Oh, uh, yeah. For for what? Open for what? I was told that you were helping out travelers who, who found their way here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're all, uh, we're all set up where you headed. I don't really know, she says. That's the best way to be. That is the best way to be. Just a wandering. I I don't know how much you can help me. I understand you used to just do wilderness expeditions back where you were from. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Capex is what we were called. But uh, by the way, uh, I di- I didn't catch your name yet. She continues, she says I don't really have a home to go back to. I'm just kind of looking to get away from everything for a little bit. It, do you think there's any way you could help me do that? Slick, if there's something I can do to help you get away from everybody, trust me, I that is right in my wheelhouse. <laughs> I'd be glad to help you out. She smiles and she says, I'd like to go somewhere quiet i i've made some recent unimaginably awful mistakes that require some deep contemplation i i think taking some time to walk and and to think would would do me good uh, 
listen, that, that is what's so great about where we are right now. There's all kinds of open space. There's all kinds of quiet space, places to think, to get inside your own head. Yeah, we can do that. But, but listen, it, I know this kind of defeats the purpose, but if you want to talk about it, um, I'm, I can put down this book right now and you can, you can fill me in. Maybe I can, uh, maybe I can give you some advice. She smiles and she says, I was hoping you might come with me, Thacker. It would be nice to travel with a friend. Someone who might understand. Oh. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. A friend to share it with? That'd be pretty nice. She smiles and picks up her bag and she says where to out there out there my friend Aubrey? Yes? Where where do you end up? That's such a good question, Griffin. I've been sitting here contemplating, and I think when it comes down to it, I don't think Aubrey is going to make that decision. I think she's going to talk it over with Danny. They're going to decide together. You have that thought as you are standing in the middle of this, uh, this, this lifeless chamber of, of wanting to talk to Danny about this. And as you have that thought, you feel the strangest sensation that your consciousness is existing in two different places at once. Uh, and, and one of these like consciousnesses uh, is seeing through this bright orange lens. And you realize you're in the center of that crystal, that new crystal that sprouted in the center of the city. And you see Danny, and she's holding Dr. Harris Bonkers, uh, who appears to be a little bit larger than he was last time you saw him. Uh, and she looks, she looks really, really worried as she looks up at the pavilion where the archway uh, once stood and now is just kind of a smoking crater. Hi, honey. Oh, my God. How's your day? She turns around and she says, why are you in the crits? What's going Are you okay? Listen, I'm, I'm absolutely fine. We totally won. Everything's great. Uh, do you remember Billy? The goat guy? Yeah, the one who looked like Ryan Gosling. Yeah? He helped us beat the light. You know, bad guys, and I have no idea what you're. You're on a whole nother level right Listen, now. Listen, I know what? it's not important. Here's the thing: uh, we've severed the connection betwixt our two worlds, and oh, we I oh. I can still get to you, or you could get to me. We can either go stay on Earth or stay on Sylvain. I'm down for whatever. Uh, you haven't been home in years. 
So like, I'm totally cool if you wanna live in Sylvain with me. I'm also totally cool if you wanna stay in Earth with me. Uh, whatever. What what are you kind of feeling about the whole thing? She sets down Dr. Harris Bonkers, who is standing on two feet, two, well, bipedal paws. Gonna uh, take me a while to get used to that. He says, uh, You kiss says, your mother with that mouth? She says, just, God, Aubrey, that's a, you realize that's kind of a lot to put on me, right? What do you- Yes. I do, but I'm I I don't want to make that decision for you. I would miss everyone back at Amnesty Lodge, but I haven't been home for so long, Aubrey. And I'll be honest, that's not why I want to stay here. Earth was incredible, and it was a great place to to be. And I owe everyone there so much for keeping us exiles safe and showing us the ropes, but Earth is going to be fine. My home planet, Aubrey, has been destroyed, and if I don't stay to help out, then I don't think I'm going to be able to live with myself. Would you, would you be able to live with me? She grins, and now we see her grinning in the middle of a, a lush field. You and, and Danny, uh, alongside Janelle and Alexandra, are just traveling the countryside, just, just putting this planet back together. Uh, oh, also, just so no one at home worries, uh, Aubrey did stock up on a lot of overtone shampoo to keep that hair red. Do not worry about it, folks. Aubrey is covered. Yeah, Danny is like equipped for this. Danny is well suited for this. She's like traveling light and living off the land. And uh, you have a big backpack that is like 80% shampoo, mm-hmm. uh, which you are. It just uh, it fades so quickly, like in the right. sun and when it rains. You got to stay on top of it. You are supporting Danny like in, in this endeavor to do what you can to like help put the planet back together. But you also, as the, you know, someone who has a connection to the planet itself, like that, that, that Sylvain part of you feels beholden to use your, you know, considerable powers to, to bring life back to the world. Um, and sure enough, like your power, your ability to affect this, this world just continues to grow over time as you, as you, uh, begin to settle in here, uh, and so you're you're walking through this like uh, this lush plain, and from above, like we can see that it's actually like this fairly barren field that, as you sort of walk through it, just comes back to life as you move. And, and let and, me just tell y'all, like that's something that I, Charis McRae and Aubrey share. It feels super cool to be able to do that. <laughs> like she is loving the shit out of it. She's from time to time just does like a full blown like you know Maria from uh, Sound of Music like run with her arms behind her as just like flowers bloom everywhere. It's like it's really cool. I th- yeah, I think this is probably a fun expedition. I think the four of you are you know 
it, it, it is an important quest that you are going on. But I also think like, yeah, sure. You're having a lot of fun along the way. Uh, and in the distance, you actually, you see, uh, you see Janelle and Alexandra and they are, uh, they're investigating like this this house that seems to be in shambles in the distance and as you're sort of uh flinging flowers everywhere danny uh kind of turns around backwards and starts walking backwards while talking to you and she says so uh, i had a thought today um we're probably gonna have to name the city of sylvain something else probably right uh why i mean i guess I mean, like, when it was the only habitable place on the planet, it kind of made sense to oh, I name it after the planet. Now it's yeah, just like we be couldn't confusing. We wouldn't want to live in a city that was just called, like, Earth on Earth. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's not super creative. I get it. So I don't know how that happened. Like, do we form a committee, or do you get to do it? Whoo! I don't know that you should give me that power, Danny. Oh, I, I probably would just name it something dirty, like Butt City or something, because I thought it was funny. Named a rabbit, Dr. Harris Bonkers. Yes, yes. What the disembodied voice of Duck said. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Um, You know, what do you think about the city of Chicane? She grins. She says, yeah, that's not bad. Feel pretty good about that one. And you can see her get a little bit choked up about it. And then she kind of shakes it off and she says, hey, I'm kind of... uh." I'm kind of hungry. Could you do the thing? Yep. <laughs> like an apple tree pops up on Aubrey's right and an orange tree pops up on her left. And you know what? Behind that, a pudding cut tree because she has a god inside of her and she can do that <laughs> shit. Yeah, it's got this this dark brown rind. And as she bites into it, it's just full of pudding. And yes. She says, hey, did you just... Dang. Did you just make a new fruit? It's called pudding fruit. Uh, and Dr. S- Dr. Harris Bonkers like jumps six feet up into the air and grabs one of the fruits off the trees and starts peeling it. And he looks up at you and he says, No, I can't make a carrot tree. That's weird. Carrots grow in the ground. I could make a carrot tree. Danny, should I make a carrot tree? She's so busy just going crazy on this snack pack fruit. It's okay, wild. Fine. And makes a, like a little tiny, like three foot tall carrot tree. He just starts eating the yes, whole thing. Yes, go to town, big guy. All yours. Uh, Janelle walks over from the distance where, where her and Alexandra were investigating that house, and she says, Aubrey, you know Thacker is going to want to catalog all this stuff, right? Was, there's no need to make things harder on him. Well, yes, but also pudding tree. Janelle, pudding tree. Okay. Yes, right? I won't do it like all the time, right? I'm not going to like make... You know, like, I don't know, a smartphone tree or something. Like, I, it's fine. I Listen, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to do this kind of thing, right? So let's have a little fun with it, right? I think eventually uh, Sylvain's going to be like, hey, cool it with the pudding trees. <laughs> and that's fine. I get it. She kind of discreetly walks over to the pudding tree while sort of talking to you. She says, I know, Aubrey. It's just, this is a strange... Mission, we've been tasked Oh, with. don't, that one's butterscotch. Don't get that <gasps> one. Oh, my God. Yeah, sorry. She wipes her mouth and spits it out, and she says, I know there's no way we're going to put this world back together the exact way it was, and I think that's something that we all have to just accept. But you are figuratively and literally planting a seed that is going to grow for 
eons in ways that we will never be able to predict. And <laughs> who's to say that some important event doesn't start right here with a new pudding fruit? By the way, I'm calling this Wonka Forest. That's funny, right? Isn't that great? It's funny. The whimsy is wonderful. I love the whimsy. You know me. I'm down to clown, Aubrey. I'm just saying, for all of my considerable wisdom, I don't know how we know when we're making the right decisions. I, right now, I have maybe the most burden of choice any person has ever had, right? I have the power of creating. I can make any kind of tree. And if I try, start thinking about what the right one to do is, I'm not going to do anything because I don't know what the right one is. So I just have to do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And I think my hope is, is that I act, if I act from a place of love and a place of fun and a place of, you know, making someone smile, that the next thing I do will be the right thing. Danny walks over to you as Janelle smiles and Danny gives you a kiss on the cheek and she says, you're so fucking cool. Right? I know, right? <laughs> Alexandra walks over from the house that uh, her and Janelle were investigating. She says, uh, hey, everyone, I, uh, I need some help over here. And as you all walk over, you see a, a small dried out bush next to this house and it rattles as you approach and you see two small mouse folk come come climbing out of the the brush and um they're young they are they're walking on two legs they are uh you know anthropomorphic and they are huddled together Aubrey they are they are scared at the sight of you and they are they're dirty and exhausted and they they start to back away as you come closer oh you don't have to be scared i'm i'm very nice um i know my whole look it's a lot um oh here you go and the bush uh, becomes a cheese bush. They look around at all the cheese, and they are they fall backwards away from the bush. They are scared by the sudden cheese. No, it's appearance. nice cheese. One of them timidly stands up and starts sniffing the the cheese bush, and puts a small paw up into it and retrieves a small chunk of cheese, which it devours hungrily before it just dives headfirst like Scrooge McDuck into the vault. And the other mouse folk turns and walks over to your feet as you kneel down, and he says, Is it... Is it over? And Aubrey smiles, looks at Danny, looks at Janelle, and looks back at the little mouse person and says, No, friend. It's just begun. Duck. Duck, where do you end up? Duck, uh... Duck went to, uh, Brazil... To uh, help in the reforestation of the the Amazon after the fires, I think he got home and sat on. Well, he he got home, sat on his couch, and kind of turned on the TV and thought, "Well, there's a forest. 
I can I could I could help. There's force that needs needs a hand and headed over there. Uh he thought he'd do okay because he uh took a lot of Spanish in high school. Rude awakening when he got there, no big deal. He's trying to pick <laughs> up Portuguese and uh yeah, that's 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 what he's up to. He's just volunteering his time to do the reforestation project. Uh okay. Uh is this a, is this a temporary move or have uh, you know um it, it, I kind of feel like he got back to earth and didn't know. I mean that's the thing about being I mean yes if it's like temporary or permanent like he was the chosen one and he did the thing. Right. And I don't think he has a plan beyond that. I mean, you know, he was kind of hiding for a long time and then he did it and he didn't think too far beyond that. And I kind of think he feels like the universe didn't either. So he's just trying to make it on his own, I guess. Okay. I, I love this. Okay. So you are in a forest ranger station, uh, sort of well outside the you know perimeter of the Amazon where you are, uh, currently based. I think they have a lot of. I think they have a lot of volunteers in general, including just a lot of folks came over from the U.S. Uh, Forest Service, uh, and I, it, that definitely includes Ranger Juno Divine, who who came over with you, uh, and she swings by the station as you are sort of recovering from a long shift. I imagine this is uh, incredibly exhausting work. I imagine that this, you know, trying to. Um, repopulate an entire uh, enormous ancient forest, or at least, you know, volunteering in some small part to help do so, it will really take it out of you. So so Juno comes into the station, and she is fairly well decorated at this point. Uh, when you got home, she, you caught some stories from other folks working from the uh, for the Forest Service of her uh, acts of valor on the day that the Quell invaded, and uh, all sort of endorsed her for a promotion uh, out of the, you know, the local branch at the Monongahela Forest all the way up to like a statewide supervisory position. So even though you've come over here to Brazil, she's still giving you kind of a hard time about her outranking you. Uh, and she says, oh, duck, looks like you left your walkie off the charging cradle again. Ooh, gonna have to write you up for that one. That's fine. Write me up, put it in the file. I, I I don't care how thick my file gets. I'm the bad boy of forestry. Oh, looks like you got some... <laughs> what is this, peanut butter? You got a little bit of open containers of food. You know the rules, duck. It's Put gonna... it on sing, single-sided. I want that thing thick. I Just want to be able to throw it at people as a weapon. Says, I know I'm a bit out of my jurisdiction, but this is a lot of infractions. Is That's it... a good fucking point. We're in Brazil. Chill out. Another voice comes from outside as the the door swings open and you hear Minerva say the peanut butter is mine supervisor Juno Divine I will take the dishonor of these demerits on my own records Juno Divine please do not punish Ranger Wayne Newton for my carelessness honey calm down she 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 doesn't mean it Juno tell her you don't mean it did you call her honey I did how did that how did that how did that come about um, well, let me try to, I, you know what? I'm not going to force it on you. I want to try to sell you on it because I, it makes sense to me from Duck's perspective, but you are, 
uh, you know, the creator of Minerva and 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 her actions. So let me let me try sure. to justify and see if I can get you on board. Here's our here's our rationale. There was obviously a tremendous amount of 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 respect between the two, um, and I uh, uh, b- between the two between Minerva and Duck, and I think that that is the grounding for a a relationship. She is the person like they have spent so much time together. I think it's a very intimate connection that they had. Um, the uh, her sort of being so completely connected to him, I think, was a very intimate connection that that makes sense would would carry over. Um, and and also, I think that there's something special to the fact that she chose Duck. I think that 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 she has uh, as, as he has sort of like uh, evolved over the course of this story. I think he has kind of gotten closer to who she knew that he could be. And who she kind of saw him as. And I think that that's a really wonderful analogy for a good relationship because it's about the other person, um, you know, seeing, seeing the kind of person that you, you could be if they, if they believed in you. And I think that, that, uh, is a grounding for a healthy relationship, I think. So it made sense to me. Okay. It's sold. I don't know why you had to convince it's sold. I'm into it. I, yeah, I think it makes sense. Like the, uh, the like as the you all have sort of now abandoned the mentor mentee relationship. I think, especially now that like you know you're not fighting uh, the, this intergalactic foe anymore. So like yeah. that relationship maybe doesn't need to exist. So I, I if I had to imagine, it would be that that not that we're going to like record this moment, but if I had to guess what the moment is, I would say the moment was they realized the fight was over kind of figured they should go their separate ways and weren't really able to. And why? You know, like, what did that mean? And okay. I think that that's probably what, what sort of got them wondering about it, if I had to guess. Yeah. Juno grins. She says, oh, it was a, uh, that was a goof, Ranger Minerva. And Minerva walks in wearing the, the same uniform you've got on, obviously a couple sizes larger. Uh, she walks in and she says, I, okay, still still taking me a bit to pick up on when jokes are happening this is a good this is a good one though yeah and besides we technically made the sandwiches together i mean i don't <laughs> this is the nice thing about being a unit is we share all the blame for all open peanut butter that's the whole reason you go out with somebody somebody share the blame with they both smile and uh juno says all right i'm i'm going to get out of y'all's hair uh minerva thanks duck Donka Shane. Ah, that, ha, ha, yeah, that's a Wayne Newton joke. You can expect yeah, a lot of those. Ha, 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 ha. I yeah. love it. Fucking love it. And uh, I'd like to point out that if I had made that joke, there would have been much ridicule. Yeah. Well, I didn't I didn't make it. A fictional character did. Uh, Good point. Uh, Minerva walks over to you, Duck, uh, and she puts her hand on your shoulders, sees you kind of worn out. Uh, she She starts to... Uh, rub your shoulders just extremely way too hard, just <laughs> extremely very fierce. Um, she says, how, how was your shift, Duck Newton? Um, oh, God. Ow. <laughs> um, you know, it was good. Boy, that feels good. Man, I am so relaxed now. You better stop or I won't fall asleep. She laughs and takes her hands off. She <laughs> says, aha, this is another joke. I was hurting you, wasn't I, Duck Newton? Yeah, it was less than two harm, though. We're okay. Um, 
Uh, no, it was, uh, you know, it was good. I'm starting to pick up on a little bit of the, the language. Um, but there's not a lot of talking, honestly, you, you know, you plant the trees, there's a lot to plant. Um, but it's good work. You know, I like it out there. It's quiet and it reminds me of home. Uh, and, uh, no one, no one bothers me. It's pretty chill. She says, that has been my experience too, Duck Newton. Say, you have not responded to the group cellular text chain with myself, Leo, and Dr. Sarah Drake. They want to have a Skype conversation and talk about battle strategies. And you haven't responded, Duck Newton. Do you have a prior engagement? <sighs> no, I mean, it's just watching all of loss with you on dvd still don't get it yeah it doesn't get better but i i was hoping i'd pick up on something or you're real smart i thought you'd see something i didn't um but yeah it's not it's still not making much sense um it's just that and then i gotta plant the trees and no it's just those two things i don't know minerva i just why you know like what Battle plans for what? She sits down. She says, That is a good question, Duck Newton. I suspect that our friends back home merely want to stay in touch, but I suppose it also can't be bad for us to be at the ready? (sighs) What is troubling you, Duck? You know, I just don't feel like I can live waiting anymore. I, I... I can't live waiting for the big next thing that's that's going to come. I can't live in fear of it coming and I I can't live hoping that things will suddenly get more exciting or different or worse or better tomorrow. That's been my whole life has been waiting for the other shoe to drop and it dropped. Um, and we're here. And that's okay. You know? I got you. I got a lot of work to do. And for me right now, that's enough. She takes your hand in hers. And she says, I wish to grant you happiness, Duck Newton. I, I do. I read recently in one of your illustrated children's books for adults, there was this charming red-suited man who could swing from buildings. Anyway, there was a thing in there about how great strength demands great diligence. Great power, great responsibility. Pretty sure it was great strength and great diligence. Okay, either one. I I get your point. You know, you don't have to push any harder. Great power, great responsibility. I read the books and saw the, honestly, many origin stories in which that exact phrase appeared. It's been pretty much drilled into me culturally at this point. And it makes sense, right? Great power, great responsibility. But you know what people forget is that the Green Goblin doesn't swing up to your door every day and blow your whole life away and in one moment you have to figure out what to do you know the responsibility is every day it's every moment and it's 
every time I pick one of those saplings up and I put it in the ground and I pat the ground around it and I pour water on it and I think about our children's 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 children will breathe the air that this thing makes and Minerva, that's power. That's my responsibility. I don't have to fight anymore. I did it. And now I'm going to grow. She takes your hand in hers with a surprising amount of tenderness and she says, Doc Newton, if you don't wish to speak to our friends back home, you can just say so. You don't have to do a whole, whole monologue. Minerva, as a joke, you did it. I did a real joke. Oh, she starts applauding herself. Oh, this feels so good. Right, I get it. Yeah. I get it now. I don't know how you lived in my head for all those years, listening to all those Jerky Boys tapes with me. Didn't pick anything up before now. It's just it seemed so crude. I thought it all had to be so crude, but that was a, just a good, well-constructed joke, Duck Newton. It's just saying something different than you and mean. people I'm, expected and what, yes. expect, exactly, yeah. You think it's it's more challenging than that, but you'd be surprised how, how far you can get just... It's, it's like combat in that way, isn't it, Duck Newton? You know what? It can feel that way sometimes. It's like Goof's combat. I feel a new power surging through me, Duck Newton. The power of goofs. The goof power. Yeah. Step back, Jay Limo. I'm coming for your throne. Your throne of jerks. The seasons pass blanketing Kepler in even measures of wild flowers, pine needles, and snow. The town and its people have changed, for better and worse, following the events of that fateful year. The FBI compound stationed on Cliffside has been decommissioned, restoring the Monongahela National Forest to its natural beauty. A skeleton crew, headed by one Agent Stern, maintains a watch on the now-dormant archway in the woods. He knows it's wasted effort. That archway will never activate again. Most importantly, the facility's encroaching border has disappeared. Amnesty Lodge is back open for business. We see the hot springs behind the building, with an off-duty Agent Stern and Barclay resting in the steaming waters, dozing on rolled-up towels, We see the former underground headquarters of the Pine Guard, now mostly used for storage for Mama's side business, and we see Mama in her workshop. She's untying an apron and sweeping up sawdust into orderly piles. She opens a window to ventilate her workspace and looks up into the sky. Several miles away, Dr. Sarah Drake sets down a magazine. She looks at her watch and flips a switch. The Green Bank telescope begins to hum. We see Amnesty Lodge under a cloudless late afternoon sky. For a brief moment, a beam of green light fires into the heavens behind the pines. Barclay steps out of the front door, drying his hair with a hand towel. He hops into Mama's truck, 
which is hauling a large cylindrical shape beneath a blue tarp that whips in the wind as Barclay descends cliffside. He passes Sheriff Owens and Detective Megan parked in a squad car outside the grand reopening of the Mount Kepler ski trails. Through the crowd, Barclay sees a now vindicated Eugene leading the festivities. He breaks as a couple crosses the street toward the ceremony. It's Muffy and Winthrop in matching ski bunny outfits. They wave, and then they watch him, knowingly, as he continues down the road. He curves around the bend down the cliff, merging onto the main drag, passing the construction site for the Hornet's Nest Action Park, the much-anticipated extreme sports facility built on the ruins of H2O that was fun. The Hornets enjoy a jovial break in the parking lot. Keith and Hollis notice Barclay's approach and wave with a smile. They nudge Jake Coolice, who jumps with a start and looks at his watch and rushes into the passenger seat and they pass through Riverside, past the sheriff's station, past a closed-down Leo's grocery store, past the recently rebuilt city hall, slowing to a stop as they roll down a dirt road into the parking lot of the Cryptonomica. The scene here is chaotic, but Kirby manages it with a veteran's ease. Several fans of Saturday Night Dead are filling coolers and laying out food for a party. Calvin Owens and his friends are gathered around the grill. This event is coming together and just in time. As the beam launches from the tip of the Green Bank telescope, Duck and Minerva, still fresh off a plane, scramble into the secret sanctum. There's the sound of a blade ripping through reality. And then the sound of joyous reunion. The door opens and old friends step out from the rift-lit closet. Moira and Dewey phase through the wall laughing with glee. Vincent steps through, sweeping up Minerva and Duck in an overpowering hug. Alexandra and Danny help Janelle, who's sporting a cast on her left leg, through the rift and into the room. Janelle waves off questions about her injury and provides snacks for the party. A full case of fresh pudding fruit. Indrid Cold exits the closet and makes a beeline for Leo Turkesian. He asks how he's settling into the new job. Leo pulls the keys to the Winnebago from his pocket and dons a pair of red-tinted glasses. Duck breaks free from Vincent's embrace just in time to see Thacker and Aubrey step through the doorway. All of them pause. A wide smile crosses Aubrey's face. She takes a step toward her old friend, only to be cut off by Dr. Harris Bonkers, who nearly knocks Duck over as he leaps toward the box of illegally imported pudding snacks. The trio's laughter fills the room. Light pours in through the windows. Outside, a handful of partygoers activate a projector. On the broad side of Kepler, West Virginia's premier museum of the macabre, the final unaired episode of Saturday Night Dead makes its debut. Welcome, my weirdlings. It's me, Ned Sususudio Chicane, coming to you from the world's preeminent museum of the macabre, the Cryptonomica in Kepler, West Virginia. Yes, it is our final episode of the season, and oh, it's a good one. One of my favorites, 1987's 
Monster Squad, directed by Fred Decker, starring Andre Gower, Stephen Mock, Duncan Rieger, and Tom Noonan as Frankenstein's monster. Here's the story. A group of young people do battle with horrifying supernatural creatures. I know, totally unbelievable, right? But the best part of this movie, the young squad members become friends with Frankenstein's creature, proving not all monsters are bad. As always, I am honored to be your friend, mentor, general inspiration. I, Ned, middle name, Chicane. Now, let's have an adventure. And as the movie begins, Jake Coolice helps Barclay unload the truck. Standing this cylindrical object up as Barclay dramatically rips off the tarp to the sounds of applause. It's Mama's latest work. A statue, nearly to scale, of a great bearded man. A walking stick in his hand. A Polaroid camera strapped around his neck. Looking down. Smiling warmly. And back, up above, we see through a window at Amnesty Lodge. Mama enters her office, wiping the final remnants of sawdust from her clothing. She fetches a jacket off the back of her chair and throws it on, now ready to join the others at the party. She steps onto the porch. She pauses and takes a deep breath. A breeze rustles her thriving garden. The noise from the distant celebration echoes through the wind. She smiles and sets off down the dirt road toward town, the shadow of Amnesty Lodge following in pursuit, as the sun sets behind the inn, extinguishing the final traces of daylight in Kepler, West Virginia.